Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. There's nothing left for us to do Find the strength to see this through We are the ones who will never be broken With our final breath We'll fight to the death We are soldiers, we are soldiers Political talk, part of the growing part of the conservative conversation, and also part of the Patriot Journalist Network. And you can find us at the Patriot Journalist Network at www.patriotjournalist.com. Uh, you can also uh, find us at bardslogic at politicaltalk.com. Now, tonight, uh, our special guest is the director of 28 Pages, Brian McGlitchney. And uh, we will have him on the show to discuss the uh, 28 pages and the fight to declassify them, uh, of course, uh, to inform folks about 9-11 and uh, at least uh, in the hopes of uh, learning more and being able to combat more effectively uh, with the terrorists. And so without any further ado, I do see our uh, guest on, and so we will be bringing him in. Thank you very much, Brian, for calling to the show. How are you tonight? Oh, it's great to be with you, Robert. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you're welcome. And I tell you what, and I was uh, telling Jim this when I seen him the other day, is uh, I got your photo, and, you, you know, I was asking how how long I knew you and things of that nature, about how old you are. And I tell you what, you look, uh, sound much younger. <laughs> I'm going to give you that, Brian. I tell you what, after hearing the other photo, I was like, really? So you, you, your age has done you well. And, and it also right. looks like, are you Irish by any chance? Uh, yes, Brian Patrick. Got it. My father. Got yeah, my it. Father okay, grew up great, in great. I'm uh, Irish yeah. myself. I'm sorry. My father grew up in Ireland, in fact. Oh well. Now, have you ever been there? Uh yes, I was just there a few months ago. My son was uh, doing a semester oh. abroad, and uh, we had the opportunity to go over and visit him over there. 
Nice, nice. So I'll tell you what, if you ever get have a, a suitcase, or, suitcase or box that's got some holes in it, next time you go to Ireland, just let me know, and uh, I'll still away a little bit. I've always wanted to go. I'll get there eventually, but <laughs> I've got some Irish in my uh, background as well, and I've always wanted to uh, to go to Ireland. But anyway, I'll, I, I could go off all, all night about Ireland and Irish history, but uh, that's not why we're here tonight, uh, Brian. So let's go ahead and uh, and get started. Uh, and I see like our panelist, Dan, who we'll be hearing uh, from at the bottom of the hour uh, tonight, uh, since you're from uh, Pennsylvania. So just give us a little bit, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Oh, yes, my background, I grew up in uh, suburban Philadelphia and uh, attended Bucknell University in Pennsylvania on a ROTC scholarship. Uh, had a four-year just about stint as a Army officer and then uh, worked in financial services for about uh, 13 years uh, where I met your colleague, Jim, uh, who introduced us for this opportunity, uh, and then I became a freelance copywriter. And last year, I was—you know—I've always been interested in politics. But last year, I happened to see a clip of Kentucky Congressman Thomas Massey at a press conference talking about his experience of reading that classified 28-page section of a congressional intelligence inquiry report. Uh, and the way he described that as disturbing and causing him to stop every few pages and rearrange his understanding of history uh, really got my attention, uh, and I looked around and saw that there was a uh, lack of a single central site on the web that uh, people could turn to for reliable, you know, well-sourced information on this topic and for help in taking action on the topic of declassifying those 28 pages, and so just decided to take my first big leap into activism and created 28pages.org to, to serve that that need. And I have that audio here. Um, it's only about two minutes and 37 seconds, so I uh, figured it would bear to, uh, for us to listen to it. So, uh, folks, let's go ahead and get this geared up. And here's a clip uh, of Representative Mass. Well, maybe. <laughs> Sounds like we had a, a little glitch there. Try to get, uh, oh, here we go. This this could be it. Let's see if we can get it for you. Something that's sort of shocking when you read it, as I read it, we all had our own experience. 
I had to stop every couple of pages and just sort of absorb and try to rearrange my understanding of history for the past uh, 13 years and years leading up to that. It, it challenges you to rethink everything. And so uh, I think the whole country needs to go through that. It's going to be difficult and it could be embarrassing. But that is no reason to keep the truth of the American people. I want to finish with two challenges. I want to challenge all the congressmen who have not read these 28 pages, who have the ability to go read these 28 pages, to do it for your constituents. There's 435 districts in this country. Every congressman needs to see these 28 pages. Then I challenge them to co-sponsor Congressman Jones and Congressman Lynch, still like I have. And finally, the final challenge I want to issue is to those who would keep these pages secret. You need to have your own press conference. You need to be held uh, to a standard to answer the question, why do you want to keep these 28 pages secret? In, in my estimation, as shocking as the 28 pages are, as much as they sort of rearrange my understanding of what happened, I don't think it would hurt our national security to release this and we give families uh, the answers they deserve as well. Okay, folks, and uh, there you have it. We'll definitely discuss uh, later on why uh, there's either a, a lack of interest or, or them not uh, doing anything about it. Uh, but first, um, so, yes, yeah, so that's the clip that you heard that got you started, uh, Brian? Exactly. I saw that, and uh, Congressman Matthews, uh, someone who had already had my respect going into that, so when, when he was speaking that way, uh, as someone who isn't prone to uh, grandstanding or you know being sensational, uh, I, th I think your listeners, if they could hear that, uh, could tell it sounds pretty pretty sincere and pretty sober uh, the way that he describes that and the urgency with which he thinks uh, these 20 pages should be declassified and allow Americans to have the full same understanding that some people in their government have about uh, uh, specific sources of foreign support of the 9/11 terrorists, which is what those 28 pages are about. You know, let, let's go back uh, a little bit, Brian, and, and let's sure. kind of bring it back home. Uh, now, of course, September 11th is still fresh in, in many Americans' minds. Uh, do you recall, and I'm sure you do, uh, where you were on that day, and uh, what do you recall about it? Uh, I recall uh, it being a terrible day, and I think like a lot of people, uh, one of the things I remember most is the instant I found out about it. Um, I was working at USAA, a large financial services company in San Antonio, Texas, in a call center environment. And a uh, friend and employee that I work with, uh, who was also from Pennsylvania, to hit that connection again, um, uh, he and I always had the habit of talking Eagles football. And he came over to my desk, and I thought that's what he was going to talk about. And he just said, uh, and you were both in management, he said, do you know what's happening? And, of course, I didn't know what that meant. And he took me to a break room, and there up on the television was the uh, site of the two towers, uh, both having been hit by that point. Um, and so oh, wow. our, uh, call, our call center activities just you know, screeched to a halt, as you can imagine, as the country became gripped by what they were seeing and what was unfolding. Uh, it was just a very difficult day. And, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's what I remember about it. Yeah, I remember I was uh, him actually getting ready for work myself, and my brother called me. And this was actually when only the first uh, plane hit. I usually watch the news in the morning anyway, so I was already uh, watching, but I was getting 
in the other room, my brother called. He said, did you just see what happened on TV? And he talked about the plane hitting the tower. And and then I, while I was watching it, uh, we were having an hour on the phone speculating, well, was it an accident? Was it on purpose? You know, things of that nature. But then the second one hit. And then we're like, oh, no, no, that's right. that's not an accident. We're, we're under right. a, we're under attack. So I actually seen the, now this is the, you know, on the television, but actually, you know, seen as the second plane hit, uh, you know, hit the second tower. And I think the thing that stuck out the most to me and still does today is uh, while I was watching the coverage is seeing these uh, little figures, you know, falling out of the building. And what, what you at first thought was debris was actually right. people jumping from the buildings, uh, preferring to jump than, I guess, burn alive or what have you. I mean, that's that, that's something that still haunts me. I mean, as I said, I was there as I went on TV, but the, just to see those images on the TV, um, them jumping, and then, uh, you know, our government, for whatever reason, uh, keeping these from us, um, that's definitely something that, you know, I think it's high time, a pastime, of course, to do. Uh, but let's go ahead and uh, so with the impetus of you starting uh, 28 pages and um, and that almost 14 years. Why do you think it's important to uh, bring this information out? Um, yeah, for a couple of reasons. Number one, you talked about you know very vividly about what a horrible day and terrible day and impactful day that was you know for all of us. Not just the trauma of that day, but we have to look at everything that has unfolded since then. Um, uh, the wars that have been launched uh, in the name of preventing the next 9/11. Uh, you know, policies at home uh, you know, pertaining to national security and surveillance and all these things that have happened, again, uh, in the wake of 9-11. We all have a huge stake in 9-11 and what it means and in preventing that next 9-11. Um, so there's that aspect, but it's, it's a very much an ongoing and relevant issue today. This is not just about finding out a true fact of history so we all understand what happened. It informs our policy going forward. Uh, uh, there's some leaders on Capitol Hill, and there's a key leader outside of Congress now who's former Senator Bob Graham uh, of Florida. He was chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee that uh, helped, that created the report, the inquiry that created the uh, 28 pages as part of a much larger report. Uh, and he, even though he's retired, is you know, leading the charge from outside Capitol Hill on this issue. And he uh, has you know, made the point that the the continued secrecy of the 28 pages has helped enable uh, terrorism to continue to flourish. It has enabled, he said, the rise of ISIS and what we're dealing with right now. And you know, we know the 28 pages are about uh, specific sources of foreign support of the 9-11 hijackers. You know, we know that much. Uh, Senator Graham uh, tends to go a little further than others in hinting and telling us you know, what is in there. And uh, at a January 7th press conference that I attended in uh, the nation's capital, he uh, he was very clear, and he, sa he said uh, these pages deal with the financing of 9-11, and the 28 pages point, he said, quote, a very strong finger, end quote, at Saudi Arabia as the principal uh, mm -hmm. financier of 9-11. And his point, and the point that he has made, is that by shielding uh, Saudi Arabia from scrutiny, from consequence, you know, from uh, being held accountable, uh, being held accountable not only by our own policies but also in the courts, and we can talk about that in a little bit. You know, there are court cases against Saudi Arabia. By shielding them from that, we gave them a signal yeah, that said there's no consequences and you can continue this behavior, which is the behavior of 
you know, allegedly members of the Saudi royal family funding uh, foreign extremists, uh, funding the Wahhabi uh, strain of teaching that fosters extremism and fosters terrorism and has you know, continued to fester today. So in specifically in those 28 pages, what do, you, what do you believe is in there? Do you think it names names of exactly who uh, were the individuals who were funding uh, maybe parts of the royal family there in Saudi Arabia or perhaps uh, folks over there who have a lot of uh, oil interests or folks who uh, contribute a lot of money to uh, different political parties or campaigns? Yeah, it's difficult to say exactly, but I I, uh, I just get the sense that it points probably to uh, potentially uh, members of highly ranked individuals in the Saudi Arabian government who may have helped finance and send money to 9/11 terrorists. A lot of what of uh, what we do know about 9/11 and uh, the lead up to it, a lot of it and uh, what is in the, uh, the focus of much of the broader report, and this is just 28 pages of a 838-page uh, uh, report. Um, there's a lot of attention that report paid to a, the, the 9-11 cell in San Diego, California. And there are some things we already know, is that uh, just a few days after attending a terrorist summit in Malaysia, uh, two of the 9-11 hijackers uh, entered the United States and were promptly met by a uh, Saudi citizen who was working a what is pretty much understood to be a ghost job, uh, and he was thought to be a Saudi intelligence asset uh, in in uh, San Diego. Well, these these two terrorists arrived in uh, Los Angeles, and then you know, we were to believe a lot of coincidences. If we want to believe this man's story, story Omar Bayoumi is his name. Uh, the morning before he met these two, he had a meeting at the Saudi embassy in Los Angeles. He drove up from San Diego to a meeting there. Then he went to a restaurant where he just happened to overhear these two newly arrived uh, Saudi uh, citizens talking. And then just out of the generosity of his heart, he took them under his wing, drove them to San Diego where he uh, put down the deposit and paid their first month's rent and apartment, got them set up, held a party to welcome them and get them acclimated to the community. And all that was just supposedly a happenstance meeting uh, there's a lot of uh, hmm. strong indicators. You know, that's just kind of an idea of it. So we already know that much. So uh, the urgency with which the congressman and the former senator uh, who have read the 20 pages want these uh, released, you know, would tell me that, you know, along the lines of what you were saying, there must be, you know, much more specific even than that uh, indications of, of support. Yeah, certainly. That's, <laughs> But, you know, I figured that would definitely be the case. Now, tell us right. about resolu- – and, and first, let's, before I get to the next uh, question about Resolution 14, uh, you mentioned the court cases since you brought them up. Uh, let's go ahead and discuss those. And tell sure. Us those. Um, yeah, there, there's a number of – there were many uh, lawsuits filed uh, against uh, the Saudi Arabian government and some charities that are you know closely tied into the, the Saudi government. Um, and – you, these are you know, by people who were you know, victimized or who suffered losses on 9/11. Now, some of those are you know, the, probably the first thing you think of: family members of the uh, of those who were lost in the attacks, um, victims you know, who were traumatized by the attack. But also, too, you know, another major group of ta- of uh, 
plaintiffs are insurance companies who had to you know, pay mm. enormous claims and damage, that type of thing. So they're looking for uh, compensation uh, and suing the government of Saudi Arabia. Well, you know, this, these 20 pages could have uh, probative value in that lawsuit uh, against Saudi Arabia. And so those, those uh, family members and the, and the attorneys that represent them, you know, they have an interest as well in wanting to get those 28 pages released. And along those lines, it... Uh, President Obama reportedly twice assured 9-11 family members that he would release the 28 pages. And not twice within a day. This is separated by more than a year uh, that he told two different family members, they say, that he would get them released. Uh, it's been years now since those assurances, and we are you know, still awaiting him to you know, make good on his word and you know, give them the full information they deserve uh, you know, for justice and for knowing more about uh, how 9-11 was able to be uh, undertaken. Well, some contend, and, you know, I'm not speaking to the validity of it, uh, but some contend either, uh, one, of, of course you've heard this, that either Obama is a Muslim himself, or two, definitely has some um, strong sympathies uh, for them. So, I mean, as I said, I'm just not given uh, saying whether that's true or not, uh, but there's right. definitely uh, talk about that there. I'm sure you know. Yeah, I've heard that talk, and I think I think it's I think the bigger factors. Uh, if the, you know, I don't know that those are factors at all, really. Um, I think the major factor. You have to understand first, Obama's the successor in this. The person who classified these 28 pages over the objections of you know people back at the time, over the objections of people who right. were on the inquiry at the time, and others. Was George W. Bush? He, you know, this is this is a bipartisan mm -hmm. <laughs> affair to to classify them and now right. to keep them classified. I think, uh, you know, it's there are reasons for that a president would not want to do this. Number one is, you know, if if it does indeed point a strong finger at Saudi Arabia and that becomes more public, you know, that's a a mess, you know, a, a controversy that they're going to have to deal with. So I mean, it might be easier in some mm -hmm. senses to to keep that under wraps. Uh, Bob Graham talks about the long history of if you if you delve into the long history of our relationship between Saudi Arabia and uh, the United States, going back we're talking you know to the FDR era uh, and this deal that we've had where we assure Saudi Arabia of national security uh, in exchange for a steady flow of oil. Um, that that is an you know, mm -hmm. ongoing deal that has transcended parties and transcended presidencies, you know, for decades upon decades. Um, you know, sort of a dismal tradition, I think, if that takes a priority over, you know, giving Americans the truth right. about about what happened and and presenting the next one. You know, we invaded, uh, you know, other countries and uh, went to war, uh, trying to tie. 9/11, uh, for example, to Iraq, where it's been pretty widely discredited that there's any kind of material connection whatsoever between 9/11 and Iraq. Um, meanwhile, there are you know, strong indications that you know the highly ranked people in the Saudi Arabian government helped enable it. I mean, and that relationship continues apace with uh, arms sales and trade and everything else. So, uh, I think it's more not wanting to open that can of worms, but it's a can of worms that as Congressman Massey said you know, in that audio clip you talked about, you know, he says it's going to be difficult, it's going to be embarrassing if those come out, but it's an experience that we all need to go through, and uh, 
let the chips fall where they may. We all deserve to know what's in those 28 pages, and that's mm-hmm. why at 28pages.org, you know, we help facilitate citizens to help take action on that. And later I do want to discuss uh, what the uh, significant impact uh, revealing those 28 pages uh, will have. Uh, but first, uh, what we're going to do is, uh, and I do also want to talk about uh, House Resolution 14 and, and other topics, uh, but first uh, we have our panelist, Dan, uh, that uh, usually is able to stay for the entirety of the show with us, uh, but tonight you will only be able to stay to us till uh, the top of the first hour. Uh, but So we'll be bringing Dan in for his uh, comments or questions. But first, folks, uh, let's go ahead and hear from the Patriot Journalist Network. You're not just listening to a show. You're part of the powerful voice of the conservative conversation on Blog Talk Radio. Nothing worthwhile has ever been accomplished without teamwork. PJNet invites you to help make a difference by adding your voice to the team grassroots conservatives working together to take our country back. To find out more, check out the PJNet hashtag and visit our website at PatriotJournalist.com. Let PJNet add our muscle to your hustle. Definitely, folks, uh, check out the Patriot Journalist Network, uh, where Bard's Logic Political Talk is a proud member of. And uh, without further ado, we will bring in our panelist, Dan. Uh, thank you very much, Dan, uh, for calling to the show. How are you? And I do see uh, some other folks called in. Uh, if you'd like to chime in, uh, give us a call at 347-945-7428. I do see some folks in the line, so if you'd like to make any comments or ask any questions yourself of our guests, I can put uh, some of my questions on hold for that. So just push the one on your number dial. I do see uh, area code uh, 610. Uh, we'll get you in. Uh, before our guest has to leave tonight. Uh, now, Brian, before I bring uh, Dan, real quick, Dan, uh, how long will you be able to stay for us tonight? You'll be able to give us uh, the hour or hour and a half uh, with us this evening? Uh, yeah, I can go another hour from now. Okay, great, great. Well, then we'll definitely yeah. get some time for my questions and some audience. But first, uh, Dan, uh, thank you very much for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Pretty good. And Brian McClinchney, uh excellent. You're, you're just a patriot. Beyond measure, um, and I say that not Thank because you, you're not not because you're a hero, but because you're dogged and you're clear-eyed, and you're not imagining things. You know, with all these conspiracy theories, I mean, part of the reason why I don't have much time tonight, I almost feel like there's a conspiracy. I've had so much junk in my life in the last couple of weeks, and I think, yeah, maybe metaphysically or spiritually, if I was that sort of person, I'd wonder if maybe I was getting a little too effective. <laughs> I was getting some grief from that man downstairs, but the guy upstairs is going to take care of us. There are conspiracies, folks. Conspiracy, it just means, it's from the Latin. It means to breathe together. They can be good or ill. I mean, we had the Sons of Liberty. That was a conspiracy. They were a secret group conspiring to take down British rule in America. It can be evil like the Bolsheviks in Russia. And most of these conspiracies don't exist. Most of the things you think of, these theories, they don't exist. You have to be clear-eyed and rational about this. You have to look for facts. And that's the problem with secrecy. There are some well-documented conspiracies out there. They're little known, but anyone out there, just Google just for fun if you want. Uh, the Great American street, Streetcar Scandal, which resulted in convictions in 1949 uh, in federal court, where GM and Firestone and Standard Oil and Phillips Petroleum and Mack Trucks conspired 
to buy control of 25 city transit systems and convert them to buses and sell off the rolling stock. Even though that came out in court, GM was fined the princely sum of $5,000 and the treasurer of GM, who was the mastermind of this whole thing, the royal ransom of $1. That was his fine. And you think about, now you guys are probably too young to remember um, the Warren Commission directly, but that's I cut my teeth on that and then Watergate um, politically. There's still facts that are unknown about the murder, the assassination of a very important president of this United States. We don't know. So there's so many theories, so much unknown, and so many people have turned away from trusting government. There's so many quite possibly who are going scot-free for their heinous crimes against the American people. Now, when we look at uh, um, the, the, the conspiracy theories today, I mean, some of them are pretty open, like the climate scammers and the um, mainstream media's self-censorship. And when you look at 9-11, yeah, it was most likely the Saudis. But was it our own government? Was it Israel? Was it somebody else? Was Russia involved? We don't know. These are theories, and they can fit the facts. You can even bend and twist so you can include all the facts. It doesn't mean it's so. There's testimony. There's documentation. There's 28 pages that have been referenced by more than one sitting U.S. senator and retired senator. And we don't know what they are. There is no reason not to know what they are. None whatsoever. 9-11 did bring on some consequences. It brought on a devastating war that went on longer than any war in this United States history. It brought on horrible treatment of our men. It created chaos, where before there was dictatorship, but at least it was order. I mean, Saddam Hussein wasn't much of a threat. ISIS certainly is. And it brought on the Patriot Act and NDAA. Now, if it's not a conspiracy that goes beyond those 19 Saudis who boarded the planes... It could not have been a more perfect setup to destroy liberty in America and around the world if they had tried. We don't know. Just today, the Senate Judiciary Committee, which was vetting um, Obama nominee for Attorney General Loretta Lynch, heard testimony from a whistleblower, John Cruz, who's shedding light on the Obama administration's decision not to prosecute that multinational megabank, HBSC. You probably have credit cards from that company. And they were laundering money for Mexican drug cartels and Middle East terrorists. These are facts. And I want to know the facts. Because, you know, I'm tired of, of theorizing and guessing and having people look at me and say, well, those are guesses, and I'm honest, and I'll say, yes, they're guesses. They fit the facts, but I don't know. I want to know. And I want people to know. And I think... That's the whole reason why they're not disclosing it. They'll say it's because we have operatives, because there's national security. But who makes those decisions? Why, the very people who benefit from those decisions. I don't trust a single person with power, and I certainly don't trust anybody who's in power in this country or anywhere else at this point in time in history. There's none that are trustworthy. Those few that we've managed to get in there who seem trustworthy, I'm watching them like a hawk because it's, they're under a great deal of pressure. We don't know if they're going to be able to withstand that pressure. I certainly hope so, but I don't see any George Washingtons at this point. In any case, I commend Brian's actions on getting to the bottom of this, and we will get to the bottom of this. I'll tell you what, folks. Um, there's a real good chance 
2015 is going to go further, even though it's an off-year election, in terms of activism and politics than 2014, which was a, a holding action. It was a, a goal-line stand that succeeded. In 2016 could very well see the beginning of a complete revolutionary takeover in a peaceful manner of the United States by patriots. Now, I'm not saying people who love America because we like our flag or we think we're better or anything else. I mean people who believe in the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of each individual state and who are willing to put their lives on the line and willing to do the hard work that it takes to make certain that we restore integrity to government. And I'll tell you what, at whatever point, whether I'm in journalism or I'm in politics, and there's people trying to talk me into politics, it's not happening right now. But wherever I am <laughs> and wherever my friends are, friends in liberty, when we find this information, it's coming out. It's coming out and let the, let the chips fall where they may. There's going to be some heads in high places that are going to prison for a long time, perhaps for life. And I'm convinced that there are some people right now in this administration, possibly in the last administration, who deserve the death penalty for treason. Brian, if you'd like to have any comment on that, or Dan, if you've got any questions. It's hard for me to ask questions uh, ahead, of uh, his presentation because Brian's presentation is very clear and concise. As I said, I really appreciate somebody who's not simply conflating facts that may be related, but who's very careful to state things in, in a clear manner that, um, that doesn't violate logical rules. I can tell that you have a background in forensics, in um, if not law, studying things in that manner and be very precise and I appreciate that a great deal. Uh, thank you very much Dan. Yeah, as you said, you know, it's so much swirling around 9-11. Uh, I wanted 28pages.org to be a site that was really focused on facts because there's enough interesting facts without making up your own and and, and you know, as we examine this, like you said forensically that's a great word um, You know, let the facts lead us uh, and, and follow those facts and see where they take us not, you know, not, not looking for self-fulfilling prophecies, or not, you know, just trying to look at avenues that support your, you know, somebody's pet theory, but you know, see where things go. So we we do try to follow those facts. Um, exactly. You mentioned it. You you had a great point, I think, uh, Dan, when you talked about the fact that uh, when things are classified, it's often to the benefit of those who do the classification. Um, yes. And if, if listeners go to 28pages.org, you know there are many articles there. We've got a blog, you have know, ongoing commentary and news updates. Uh, one article that I, you know, I think would be of particular interest, I'm going to quote from here, is uh, it's called "Must Read Quotes from Last Week's 28 Pages Press Conference." If you go to the blog section, you'll find it there uh, uh, earlier this year. Um, but Senator Graham, speaking to what you were just talking about, he said, you know, this issue of classification came up, and he said. Quote, much of what passes for classification for national security reasons is really classified because it would disclose incompetence. And since the people who are classifying are also often the subject of the materials, they have an institutional interest in avoiding exposure of their incompetence. Uh, that kind of you and Senator Graham are you know, thinking right along the same lines there. No, not exactly. Um, oh, okay. I don't believe I, I don't believe that the people at the top are particularly incompetent. It seems that way. And, and when you look at, um, folks, look at your own lives. Look at your bosses. Seriously. 
look at the people running your local show, whether it's your churches, your, your fire companies or whatever, and you, you see a lot of incompetence at the top or what seems to be incompetence. But remember, the game they're playing is not meritocracy. It's not, hey, you're the best at this job, therefore you are going to be in a position where you can assist others in being better at their job. That's meritocracy. That's where somebody who's in charge knows how to do your job. No, what they're doing is playing a game called let's get ahead. Let's make ourselves. It's swallow the leader. It's, it's uh, let's make ourselves bigger and better than everybody else without actually having to do much. And they're very competent at gaining power and maintaining power. They're competent at corrupting other people. They're competent at um, suborning people to do things that they shouldn't do. They're competent cover-up. They're really good at cover-up. Most of us would have be terrible at it. Think about your friends. Think about your kids, your, your parents, your, your, your spouses, your pets. How many people do you know How many that can lie effectively? The people at the top are really good at it. So they're very competent. Now, Unfortunately, they're not necessarily competent at what we need them to be competent at, which is, in this case, <laughs> running a foreign policy, running an investigation, running an economy. They're, they're pretty terrible at that. But we, they didn't get there because they were good at that. They got there because they're good at getting position, increasing their budgets, expanding the scope of their control. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, I get the sense that when he's talking about incompetence, you know, we're not only necessarily talking about the people at the very top. Um, you know, we have a lot of institutions uh, in the story of 9/11, government institutions in the story of 9/11. Uh, uh, before you joined us, uh, I talked about the uh, two 9/11 terrorists who arrived into Los Angeles and were promptly ushered off to San Diego, where they lived. Uh, registered cars, driver's license in their own name, uh, or the right in the phone book under their own name. The CIA and NSA knew they had come from the Malaysian uh, terror summit and were in the country uh, and uh, refused to notify the FBI of that. An FBI I don't agent think that's incompetence. To- Okay, that could be true. So, I mean, he could be generous with the word incompetence, uh, gross negligence or worse. Um, but uh, I think that's the kind of thing he was speaking to about not wanting to potentially be disclosed is that manner of, uh, of Well, my particular opinion of Lindsey Graham, although there are some who find this, this it. Is, I mean, uh, he, Senator he, Bob, this is Senator Bob Graham, oh, former Bob Senator Graham. Bob Graham of Florida. Yes. Different story. <laughs> right. Different quite story. A, quite a bit apologize. different. <laughs> Absolutely Quite a bit different. different. <laughs> <laughs> See what an assumption will do for you folks? You hear you hear Graham and you hear Senator and you automatically leap to the one that you don't like and you try and make the facts fit and it, it isn't the right truth. So I apologize for that. No problem. we do have a a, a a number of folks on the line. And for those who also would like Great. to uh, chime in, give us a call at 347-945-7428. And, uh, John, I see you on the line. We'll bring you in a few moments. Uh, but, Brian, was there something you want to say before I bring John in? Uh, no, let's bring him right on. Okay, great. All right, John, uh, just uh, tell us where you're from, and uh, thank you very much for coming to the show. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing tonight? Oh, doing really well. Thank you. 
Good. Um, I'm from Philadelphia, and I just wanted to call in to give my support to what Brian is trying to do, which um, different family members have been trying to do for years. I don't know if you're familiar with the Jersey Girls or the September 11th Advocates. They released a petition in Mm -hmm. late 2006 calling for the release of these 28 redacted pages um, we managed to get 17,000 signatures for them. They brought it down to Washington, D.C., and nothing was ever done. Um, <clears throat> there, you know, there's a lot of issues concerning Saudi Arabia and the United States beyond just their supply of oil. You know, many people in this country benefit from Saudi Arabian money, people within the Bush family, for instance, um, you know, we have collaborated with Saudi Arabia in places like Bosnia and so forth, using their connections to extremism or rebels or freedom fighters or whatever you want to call um, people, like the Mujahideen during the Afghanistan-Russia war. Um, you know, during the 1990s, we blocked uh, investigations into Saudi Arabia, like Robert Wright, FBI agent Robert Wright, uh, started an investigation called Vulgar Betrayal, which was shut down. And he was, you know, looking into people like Yassin Al-Qadi, who was a Saudi millionaire. Um, You know, and George Tenet was good friends with uh, Prince Bandar. And because of that, his analysts, he told his analysts to back off. You know, one of the first things Bush did when he came into office was to tell the intelligence agencies to back off the Saudis and the Bin Ladens. So, you know, you you can point a figure at Saudi Arabia for their role in terrorism, for their possible connections to 9-11 and so forth, but at the same time, you have to take a look at the United States and how <laughs> and what they've done. Um, but I commend Brian very much for what he's trying to do. It's long overdue. There are documents from the 9-11 Commission that need to be released. Uh, many that have been released are great, greatly redacted. So, you know, there's a battle on that front as well. But, again, I just wanted to call in and lend my support. Oh, we appreciate that, John. Uh, we'll be bringing... Uh... Uh, Bill and shortly, but uh, first we'll uh, hear some more thoughts from you, Dan, and then also you, Brian. Uh, but for those who are new to calling into the show, uh, one thing we do a little bit different here is uh, once folks call in, they're welcome to stay on the line uh, and join what we call our roundtable discussion. And what that is is I try as best as I may to give uh, everyone on the line uh, as much opportunity as possible uh, for them to ask questions, make comments. Uh, things of that nature, and kind of bring it around, as I said, in kind of a roundtable discussion format. So if you'd like to stay on the line and, you know, because any other comments or questions uh, come up during our show tonight, uh, you're welcome to stay, and uh, we'll try to bring it back to you as, as much as we can. And uh, so with that being said, uh, let's go ahead and bring it to you, Dan, and then uh, to you, Brian, and then we will bring in Bill. And I do see uh, someone else on the line, 972. Uh, you are next, and uh, I'll be talking with you shortly. But uh, first, go ahead, Dan. Well, I, I should mention also that I'm from Philadelphia. I grew up in Philly and Atlantic City. So uh, we, it's amazing how 
a progressive city in the middle of a pretty blue state uh, keeps coming up with all these people who just don't toe the line whatsoever. I think it's um, from uh, being in such proximity to the Constitution. <laughs> it the could first be. Place. Yeah, there you go. That's a good... Uh... Well, my thoughts are that uh, petitions aren't going to work anymore. And some people are saying that nothing short of violence is going to work anymore. I think what will work is waking people. And you can't really expect much of Americans when things are going well. When things are going real well, they figure, well, what do I have to worry? I'm making money. I've got a good life. But tell that to 46 million Americans right now. And this is no conspiracy theory. These are official government figures that are on food stamps. And even though the government proclaims that the, the unemployment rate is, is so low. In fact, last Tuesday, uh, the chairman, uh, the CEO, rather, of the Gallup organization, a social scientist and businessman, highly respected, came out and said that the uh, numbers used by the Labor Department were a complete lie. It's a conspiracy. He said this, and he gave specific examples, proof. And I posted this in the unemployment office where I work, and people looked at it and went, yeah, we knew that. We understand that. That's, Of course it's true. We know that there's 90-plus million Americans out of work right now, and that most of the jobs created are part-time, minimum-wage crap jobs and that most of the jobs that are created aren't going to uh, American citizens anyway. It's funny, too, because the very next day, and make of it what you will, draw your own conclusions. I mean, do you want a conspiracy theory? The very next day, the CEO of Gallup went on to MSNBC. Was it MSNBC? It might have been CNBC. And uh, said, look, uh, no, I I take that back. Uh, The Bureau of Labor Statistics is excellent. There's... Their, their figures are absolutely without question. He says, I mean, I have to drive home tonight, and I'd like to, to actually make it there in one piece. I mean, Orwellian. So either he is completely out of his mind and yet was able to be cogent and quote facts in a logical manner that can be referenced and researched with ease the day before, or what he said the next day is also true, and somebody got to him, somebody threatened him. Powers that be are not going to let government go easily. They're not going to give up their grip on power. So it's up to all of us. And I keep reminding everybody that the American people are not stupid. Um, They can cope with the information in those 28 pages. They can cope with all the the complexities of national and uh, international and local affairs, the crises that we face. We can cope with all of that. The proof is that they do cope with their own lives and that they're experts in the things that they're interested in. Now that things aren't going so well, I find all kinds of people who just a very short time ago had absolutely no knowledge of anything in his you know, they didn't even know who a Supreme Court justice was or, you know, it's like the Jay Leno skits where they'd go out on the street and they'd say, uh, you know, can you name your senator? You, you know, tell us, mm-hmm. read the reading the First Amendment and ask them what they think about that. I mean, what's that? Uh, but these people are rapidly educating themselves and radicalizing quickly. And uh, I've quoted this before. This is a quote from Vladimir Lenin. Truth can come from all sorts of places, and sometimes even evil speaks truth. Uh, not usually, and not usually completely. Look at our dear leader in Washington. 
But he said that when the great masses of people become intensely interested in politics, you have a revolution. And I think we're in the midst of one right now. You won't really hear about it on the mainstream media, but talk to your friends, neighbors, coworkers, family. You'll find an awful lot of people are starting to pay attention and get up on their hind legs and make a noise. If we enough of us do that together in an organized fashion, we can restore constitutional government in this country. And we can get to the answers that we need at the bottom of all this. And that's not the end goal, because once we find out and we punish the wrongdoers, we need to make things right. We need to restore what America is supposed to be. It didn't get this way in a hurry, folks, and it's not going to get fixed immediately. But we've got a couple of huge advantages over the statists. We don't have to lie. We don't have to be gradual. We can do it fast. We can do it hard. And we can do it for real. And we can turn this country around in a big way. And then again, before I bring it over back to you, Brian, and then we're going to bring Bill in. So we've got uh, some other folks who'd like to get in as well. Uh, it's definitely, uh, folks, uh, you talk about the mainstream media, Dan, and, uh, you know, we talk about our grassroots uh, programs like uh, Bard's Logic. It's definitely one way uh, to spread the uh, grassroots uh, shows out is, uh, at least with this show, there's the link is just email the link out to uh, the folks and uh, get them to be able to listen to the show because all the shows are podcasts. And if you'd like to be part of the mailing group uh, to be able to get the podcasts and also get updates on uh, what's going to be airing on the show, uh, just give us a, an email at bardslogic at gmail.com, or you can also uh, contact uh, me, the host, via the contact page on the Bards Logic Political Talk. Dot com. So definitely, thanks. We really appreciate that uh, to get the word out there, uh, spread the grassroots shows uh, by sharing the link with folks, uh, either whether it's Twitter or it's uh, emails uh, or just on Facebook, uh, things of that nature. Let's go ahead and bring it back to uh, you, Brian, and then I want to bring Bill back in the line. And so go ahead, Brian. Yes, yeah, following on uh, your Dan's thoughts there about uh, citizens taking action and getting involved. Uh, that was one of the things that made me leap into this fray on this issue uh, was my own boiling frustration with a lot of things in the country, and I, I bet a lot of the audience can relate to that, you know, the, the deep frustration and sometimes the sense that um, we can't change things or we can't uh, affect things. And a lot of times, you know, the things that we want to change are so broad. Maybe it's a com complete overhaul of the tax system or maybe it's a, a complete rethinking of foreign policy and that type of thing. But this movement, this 28 Pages movement, uh, at its essence, it's all about just bring, trying to bring the full weight of the American people on a little stack of paper, you know, about as tall as two quarters, you know, an eight and a half by 11 inch target. Can we all put that political pressure and just get these pages released? Can we just get one victory together, one bipartisan, nonpartisan victory? Because this is an issue that um, more than just about anything else I've ever encountered crosses party lines, crosses philosophical lines, the, the array of people and personalities and uh, interests who would like to see these 28 pages comes out uh, is very, very broad. If you look at the list of co-sponsors of House Resolution 14, which would urge the president to declassify these 28 pages, it is, uh, you know, it includes conservative Southern Republicans, and you've got Charlie Rangel from New York, liberal Democrat. You know, that, that's the kind of bedfellows of people who just say, you know what, this needs to come out. It's the right thing to do to get this information out. Wow. 
Yeah, definitely. And then, uh, as I said, bringing things back around, uh, John, you want to have a, a comment to make before we bring in Bill? No, no, no. I'm done. Okay. All right. We'll just uh, you know, speak up last enough if you'd like to, uh, to chime in. But let's go ahead and bring Bill on the line. Thank you very much, Bill. Uh, where are you calling from, and how are you tonight? Hi, good. Thanks. I'm I'm in Chicago. I'm inside, but I'm I'm warm compared to what's going on out there. It's about ten below. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm in Ohio. We're not much different from that. <laughs> well, th- thanks for the opportunity go to ahead, talk uh, to you. Go and, ahead. And thanks for putting this together. Them. This is a this is a good thing, and it's the kind of thing that we need, I think, in America to echo some of, you know, Dan's and Brian's sentiment. I think we it's it's a good chance to try to. Start getting people activated. And, and to echo some of the things that John was talking about and his appreciation for what Brian's doing, I'd like to emphasize, as John did, to take out, check out 28pages.org and, and, and try to get involved. This is a, a, worthy, a worthy cause. And it's very sad that it has to be worthy, but it is. It's 14 years later. Um, Along these lines, I have a semi-vested interest in selfish one that is seeking the truth, but that's why I'm seeking the truth, and I hope we all do as Americans. And I'm, gonna, I'm in light of what some of the things that Dan was saying about, you know, the semi-historical or, you know, really fundamental significance politically about this. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna read two or three sentences from Thomas Paine's pamphlet called Common Sense. From the 17, I think it was 1776, actually. Uh, Society in every state is a blessing, but government, even in its best state, is but a necessary evil, and its worst state, an intolerable one. For when we suffer or are exposed by the same miseries by a government, which we might expect in a country without government, our calamity is heightened by reflecting that we furnish the means by which we suffer. And perhaps, you know, we we need to think about these 28 pages in the sense that it's very sad that we don't know the truth and it's possible that our government, well, we don't know the answers yet, but it's obvious that the answers are, are still there, the questions are still there. And if we don't get our act together, figuring out the worst set of crimes in American history and the wars that followed, we are pathetic. Thank you for listening. I have one more question, though, too. I wanted to ask a question instead of just talking. Sure, sure. I wanted to ask Brian, you know, for instance, in the last month or two, you've, you're, you've been on a learning curve. What's the – if you had to think about one or two or three things or whatever you wanted, what have you learned in the last month? And, and, and what does it lead you to try to try to pursue in the future? Oh, that's a great question. I've learned so much uh, because you know, entering this issue, um, I had not been a a great student of 9/11 up to this point. You know, beyond you know the basic knowledge, you know, of a of, a, of an informed citizen, but not you know, diving deep. And uh, one thing I've learned is, wow, how much is there to learn about 9/11? And uh, you know, once you start reading into things, you just find more and more. As far as the past the past month goes. Uh, and this ties back to something uh, John was talking about, which is the the uh, Saudi relationship with the United States. Uh, is, I think particularly this past month is learning just how deeply entrenched and how complex and all the 
the threads that tie the countries together, and you know, a lot of those threads are not readily visible to the public. Um, the extent of the influence of Saudi Arabia in our government. Uh, there's an article on 28pages.org uh, published earlier this month titled, Saudi Arabia and the U.S. Intelligence Community Allies Against 9-11 Transparency. Uh, we can talk about the intelligence community part in a little bit, but the <laughs> Saudi Arabia aspect uh, of that article uh, gives readers a sense of how much uh, the Saudi Arabian government has invested in influence in this country. And uh, there's a poster child for that recently, which was uh, former Senator Norm Coleman, a Republican who mm-hmm. is uh, leader of a super PAC, you know, the, a, a large GOP super PAC, uh, is you know, former senator. Well, he is now, and he once you know, was a co-signatory to a letter condemning Saudi Arabia for spreading extremism. And now this former senator is actually a registered payroll lobbyist for the government of Saudi Arabia. Just kind of give you one instantaneous uh, understanding of just how uh, deep and powerful those uh, Saudi Arabian influences are. Uh, you know, Saudi Arabia also you know, funds helps fund the think tanks that are often quoted in our media and referred to by journalists. Uh, and you know, these think tanks have this patina of neutrality and academia and all this type of thing. But you know, once you start peeling it back, you realize that these foreign governments, uh, not just Saudi Arabia, other governments too, are are really using these think tanks to help mold opinion, mold policies in our country. And just today I was reading, you know, this continues to stack on top of each other, is that uh, it talked about how uh, the Clinton Foundation uh, has received, I think it was tens of millions of dollars, it was in the Wall Street Journal just today, of money from Saudi Arabia. And Brian, think, Brian by, yeah. by chance, did you see the uh, letter to the editor in the New York Times by Mindy Kleinberg and Lori Van Alken. I, yes, the two nine eleven widows. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Did, did Did you see that? I did. Um, do you want to tell the audience about that? Well, you can, or you, you know, okay. John actually <laughs> knows these folks, and uh, it it was, uh, you know, I'm I'm very disappointed in our mainstream media in many ways, but the fact that those folks at New York Times actually publish this letter is a wonderful thing. <laughs> and and it comes from people that are maybe the best leaders in the search for the truth that we have in the United States of America. Mindy, Mindy Kleinberg and Lori Van Alken, who uh, lost their husbands in the events of 9-11 and were instrumental among other people in the early formation of the 9-11 Commission. And there's a movie out there called 9-11 Press for Truth that's a wonderfully, um, A, technically made movie, and B, a hurt heart jerker that is relevant as we speak in in how how sad it is that we are in a United States of America that we don't have the truth about those events and their disappointment with the quality of our government in searching for the truth. And so they so you asked me to talk so I did. What do you think, Brian? <laughs> did yeah, you read those two, letters or Yeah, these two nine eleven uh widows uh they were reacting to, you know, a few weeks ago, I think everybody probably saw, there's a lot of media, thank goodness, about these 28 pages, and some of that was sparked by the fact that the so-called 20th hijacker, Zacharias Moussaoui, had uh, created a you know, deposition, a sworn statement for the 9-11 lawsuits that we talked about, uh, tying very specific Saudi royal family support of al-Qaeda's activities you know, preceding 9-11. Uh, but anyways, an article in the New York Times by Carl Hulse, and 
in it. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he painted the picture and talked about the 28 pages and how this will this spotlight on Musawi is you know adding even more heat to the 28 pages movement. Uh, and in that, as he explored the issue, he quoted Philip Zelikow, who is was the executive director of the 9/11 Commission. And Zelikow is in you know many of these articles that popped up over that last couple week time frame. He tends, you know, in his comments, he's minimizing the potential importance and significance of the 28 pages, and then goes on to say that, well, the 28 pages were in the congressional inquiry. You know, they're not, in, they're not in the 9/11 Commission report, which followed it. And he implies that, well, it was much more thoroughly investigated <laughs> in the 9/11 right. Commission report. And uh, John, I believe, you know, John, that's John Gold, correct, on the line? No, with that's you? me laughing. But John, no, John, John. Has, John will have some comments. John, are you there right. still? Yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> it is John Gold, correct? Yes, it is. <laughs> to pull you out. I mean, John is one of the more knowledgeable people you'll ever, ever encounter on 9-11 and uh, might be a future guest for you guys to, to contemplate. But, John, would you like to add a little bit more about Philip Zelikow and uh, his... <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> well, what I'll say about Philip Zelikow, um, and this should speak volumes to people, is that the family members during the time of the 9-11 Commission, called for his resignation on two separate occasions. Um, This is a man who refused half of the interview requests for Saudi investigators on the 9-11 Commission. He blocked someone by the name of Dana Liesemann uh, from accessing the 28 redacted pages. And this is an individual who came over from the Joint Congressional Inquiry and actually helped to author the 28 redacted pages. He he made it hard for her to gain access to them, and she went through a back channel to get access to them, and as a result, Zelikow fired her. Um, now, Dieter Snell and Philip Zelikow took part in a, quote, late-night editing session to remove any Saudi support for the hijackers um, from the 9-11 report. Um, even though there, you know, there's overwhelming evidence, and basically what Philip Zelikow was saying is that they investigated the claims that were in the 28 redacted pages and found that they were lacking. Um, and non, the 9/11 Commission, on so many different levels, is completely and totally discredited. It was completely uh, corrupt and compromised. And Philip Zelikow is only one of those uh, examples of how corrupt and compromised it was. So, and John's, and John's ex- description of the uh, of the uh, blocking of Saudi Arabia, you know, being implicated, mentioned poorly. You know, it's not it's not John talking or just you know anybody else talking. I mean, you've you've got 9/11 commissioners like former Navy Secretary John Lehman, who said he was just astonished as the 9/11 Commission proceedings unfolded how much the uh, White House was going to the mat to cut off any inquiry that was leading in the direction of Saudi Arabia. So this is, uh, you know, to echo earlier talk, nothing about, you know, vague conspiracy theories. This is a very well-documented phenomenon by some of the more, you know, trustworthy people that you might encounter and people, you know, with no other reason to, to implicate and at this time, gentlemen, uh, we're going to uh, bring in uh, another audience member. Uh, so we've got Ben on the line, and Chuck, uh, 
He will be next, uh, Chuck Suter. Uh, but first, let's go ahead and uh, get Ben. And Ben, thank you very much for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Oh, I'm good. Thank, thanks for taking my call, guys. Oh, you're um, welcome. Uh, where, where are you from, Ben? I'm from Dallas, Texas. Dallas, so Texas. Okay, great. In... Uh, I'm sorry, what? Well, I so said that's great. Actually, uh, our guest here is uh, in Texas now, correct, Brian? That's right, Ben San Antonio. Well, what was your question or thought? Oh, um, Mike, you guys uh, briefly talked about the uh, how the CIA and NSA sort of knew the two San Diego hijackers, Khalid Al-Midar and Nawafal Hazmi, uh, had, had sort of been protected or they, they didn't tell FBI about the visa and stuff. And um, I, I was wondering, is that actually connected to the 28 pages? Uh, we don't know exactly. You know, we don't know what's in the 28 pages. I have not heard it said that that is in the 28 pages specifically. Um, but um, you know, there's so much in the 20, in the uh, congressional inquiry, the broader 838-page document about that San Diego cell. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some information there. But we just really don't know what's in there. We want to find if out. If you are interested in that area, I highly recommend listening to a podcast called Who is Rich Blee? Um, I also recommend reading a book called Disconnecting the Dots by Kevin Fenton, which tackles that issue concerning the CIA and those two hijackers. Okay, great. Um, the reason I was wondering, though, is because uh, in an interview Richard Clark gave to John Duffy and Ray Novoselsky, who were the guys who made Press for Truth, he sort of implies that it was connected, and I'd I don't know. I didn't know if there was anything to that or not. Yeah, Richard Clark thinks that you know he, there were there were two FBI agents assigned to the CIA's uh, Bin Laden unit, and when uh, it was learned that these terrorists had arrived here, these FBI agents who were assigned to that CIA unit, you know, they wanted to tell their FBI headquarters, and they were specifically prohibited from doing so, and I think you know threatened with loss of job and jail time if they did. Uh, you know that haunts those FBI agents. Uh, including you know, one of which is Mark Rossini to this very day. And if you, you Google that, there's a recent Newsweek profile of Mark Rossini uh, you know, about the information that you know, might have prevented 9-11 had it been shared. Um, and Richard Clark, who was the counter-terror czar in uh, the uh, Bush White House and the Clinton White House uh, before it, uh, he, he has a theory that the CIA was uh, – you know, probably tr perhaps trying to turn one or more of these San Diego terrorists into a source, you know, to flip them over so that it became an asset for the CIA uh, and, you know, and thus didn't want, you know, any other investigative entity spoiling that, but that it got, you know, away from them in the most horrible way imaginable. Uh, I believe that's a theory, too, that uh, FBI agent, you know, the one who is Mark, Mark Rossini, who was told not to share that information, um, I think he believes that same very same thing, and uh, yeah, it's important to note that trying to re recruit on our own soil, I believe, is a crime. So it would be a cover-up of a crime too, if that was the case, and that was their motivation for for not mm -hmm. sharing that information. But but well, but another say, thing that we need to know, another thing that we need to know is, you know, the NSA was monitoring phone calls from the hijackers to a hub in Yemen, and what was on those phone calls? Um, because the NSA lied and said uh, 
that they could only identify. No, the not false. the NSA. <laughs> yeah, the NSA lied. They said they could only identify where the calls were going to. They couldn't identify where the calls were coming from, which would mean that they didn't know that the hijackers were in the United States. But as we found out from an NSA whistleblower William Binney and confirmed by NSA whistleblower Thomas Drake, the NSA was well aware of uh, where the calls were coming from, which meant that they knew that the hijackers were in the United States, and they themselves did not notify the FBI to to, to deal with the situation. But I want to know what was on those phone calls, and I also, you know, there's a number of things. The, the, the NSA was hardly investigated by the 9-11 Commission, which is another one of its faults. But And, and anyway. while we're talking about... While we're talking about uh, excellent resources for further research on this, but real, um, but I real, highly recommend. Real, real quick, gentlemen. Yeah. R- real quick, Brian. I just want to make a note. I just want to thank uh, thank you, Cindy. Uh, she's one of our panelists uh, for talking to the folks uh, there in chat, and uh, and thank you, uh, Elizabeth, for your content there, and, and talk with Cindy as well as you, Barbara. Uh, so if you'd like to call in, just give us a call at three four seven nine four five seven four two eight, and. Uh, Dan wanted me to uh, bid his farewells to everyone that he had to go a bit ago. Uh, sorry for not being able to uh, stay longer, but he had some things he had to attend to. Uh, so thank you, Dan. And so I also want to uh, thank you, Cindy, for uh, talking with the folks there in chat. Really appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to hearing you uh, when you uh, come into the call as well, Cindy. So when Elizabeth, uh, you as well. And uh, Barbara, I see uh, it's been a while since we've seen you, so it's great to see you. Uh, there and uh, chat again, but let's go back uh, to gentlemen. We have Chuck on the line, but first, uh, Brian and Ed, I thought you were going to uh, finish, and then we'll bring in Chuck. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, I was going to say, while we were mentioning some uh, interesting, valuable resources for people who you know find this topic interesting and want to pursue this topic uh, of 9-11 even more broadly uh, than the 28 pages, um, John Gold, who's on the line with us tonight, who we're fortunate to have on the line with us tonight, has a podcast called We Were Lied To About 9-11, and he has had a uh, really interesting array of guests, including NSA whistleblower Thomas Drake, who, whom he just mentioned, uh, uh, authors of very authoritative books on the topic, uh, 9-11 family members, Jersey girls that he talked about who have been involved. And so I'd uh, recommend that to your audience, too, to, to, to check that out. Thank you, Brian. Well, well, you and, well and, and John, check out the uh, the Patriot Journalist Network at www.com. PatriotJournals.com, and let's hear from them real quick, uh, and then just check out the the website. And if you like, I can uh, hook up with Mark Prasik. I know that he, he uh, features some podcasts on their website, uh, so check that out. But let's go ahead and hear from the Patriot Journalist Network. You're not just listening to a show; you're part of the powerful voice of the conservative conversation on Blog Talk Radio. Nothing worthwhile has ever been accomplished without teamwork. PJNet invites you to help make a difference by adding your voice to the team, grassroots, conservatives working together to take our country back. To find out more, check out the PJNet hashtag and visit our website at PatriotJournalist.com. Let PJNet add our muscle to your hustle. If anyone else is interested in that, just uh, send me a uh, message at bardslogic at gmail.com, or you can uh, connect by going to the Bard's Logic contact page at 
www.partslogicpoliticaltalk.com and be a part of the mailing email list uh, so you can get updates on the podcasts as well as the shows. Uh, but go ahead, Brian and John, if you want to give a little bit more information uh, on the podcast and the information before we bring up uh, bring in Chuck. Go ahead. No, I'm going to say good night to you guys. Brian, keep up the good work. Great. Thank you so much, John. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah, thanks, John. You have a good evening. Thank you for coming to the show. Yeah, definitely, uh, you know, all fair, uh, Brian. Uh, take a, a link at that show, and I'll talk to uh, Mark Prasik. He's the founder of the uh, Patriot Journalist Network. Actually, him and I uh, go back a couple of years uh, when we were uh, working on a campaign together. And uh, after that, he started the Patriot Journalist Network. Uh, check it out. I think you would be uh, very impressed uh, with what they've done over there at www.patriotjournalist.com. Uh, so let's go ahead and uh, bring Chuck in. And uh, thank you, uh, John, again for coming to the show. But Chuck uh, Suter, we've had him on the show as well. We've even did a show with you, uh, features one of our guests, Chuck. And if anyone likes to see uh, or listen <laughs> Rather that, you can find it in uh, one of the many archives we have here on the show. Uh, but thanks again, Chuck, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Hey, I'm great, man. I'm, uh, my voice is a little under the weather, and uh, it's been like that before. Can you hear me okay? Uh, there's a little bit a little bit of static, uh, but that might come with the volume, but go ahead. Well, let me try this. Do, do I sound better now? Yeah, I think so. Yes. Okay, uh, I apologize. Yes, I'm, I'm under the weather. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> and uh, you know, been dealing with some issues uh, here uh, uh, with the kids and everybody's got the flu. I don't know what it is. Uh, uh, anyways, uh, thank you for having me once again on your show. I wanted to bring up the issue of the First Amendment. And why? Why bring up the First Amendment when we're talking about an issue such as these 28 pages and Walter Jones, congressman from uh, North Carolina here, has also talked about this issue. It's very important. It's very important to have this be be revealed to the American people. What, what you know? You have these nine eleven truthers that want to take things too far, want to like really muddy the waters. Look, anything like that, just forget about it, folks. Just forget about it. At the same time, that does not mean that you forget about what your constitutional rights are and holding your government accountable to know exactly what happened on that day because it changed America forever. And for the most part, it has made us less free. We are less free because of what happened on the the, the events that happened on 9-11. We are less free. Would you agree with me on that? We are less free? Our own government has imposed this on us. We have less freedom. Yeah, I would certainly agree. And I think even the people who support the mass surveillance and all these other programs that have been unrolled, even they would acknowledge we're less free. They would say, well, we have to sacrifice that freedom for security. And, of course, other people would say, quote Benjamin Franklin, and say, 
those who do that end up with neither freedom nor security and, and are deserving of neither either. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's, there's an important philosophical underpinning to this issue of 28 pages. And Bob Graham in that press conference earlier this month, you know, he stepped back a moment and talked about it in the context of our American system of government. Uh, and he said, he said the declassification of these pages is, uh, quote, an issue that goes to the core of the United States contract with its people that the people would give the government the credibility and support to govern, and the government would give the people the information upon which they can make good judgments as to the appropriateness of governmental action, end quote. And it, it gets right to that, and the points you're making, the government actions that have taken place uh, in the wake of 9-11, uh, and the government actions that continue to be uh, unfurled in the, in the you know, so-called war on terror, uh, the appropriateness of those government actions, if we don't have a good, clear understanding of the forces that enabled 9-11 and might, uh, as Senator Bob Graham has said, uh, enabled the rise of ISIS and that type of thing, um, then we are not, in a, as the American people, in a position to supervise and make judgments about the appropriate government action going forward. It's about an informed population, informed public that can reach informed decisions about the, the appropriate actions. Uh, you know, at both at home and abroad. Yeah, yes, I couldn't. Agree Let's go more. ahead, real quick, Chuck. I want to, real quick, Chuck. I want to bring Ben back in. See if there's anything uh, you'd like to add or uh, to that, Ben, and then go ahead, Chuck. Oh yeah, um, I I totally agree with y'all. Um, I actually have a, another question though. Um, with the with the classification system. Um, it was established by a certain executive order. I don't know what it is off the top of my head. But um, William, NSA whistleblower William Denny has said that it's actually illegal to classify something because, uh, for non-national security reasons for, to cover up, like, embarrassment. Mm -hmm. um, is that actually, like, breaking the law, or is it just violating an executive order? And maybe you can clear that up a little bit. Yeah, I don't know that for sure. I mean, it would make sense to me that, um, you know, that there's a, a guidelines for, you know, what justifies classification and what does for national security. As to whether there's a penalty for doing it the other direction, I don't know. Um, I will say it's pretty well documented that we have an epidemic of over-classification in this country. You know, here we're mm -hmm. talking about something that is very interesting and fascinating and goes to the core of a, a transformational event. But, I mean, the classification has just become a routine uh, knee-jerk type of thing. And you know, in a bureaucracy where somebody could be punished for having not censored, uh, classified something, and whether, <laughs> but they wouldn't be punished if, they're, if they excessively classify, you know, their tendency is going to be, well, I'll just play it safe and stamp classified on it. And that kind of seems to be the uh, modus operandi of, you know, far too many across many departments of government now. It's just a... Uh, needlessly classify things, and you know, there are activists out there trying to peel that back. But this would be a nice uh, flagship effort, you know, it, it, to begin that peeling back of all mm -hmm. the excessive classification. If we could pull, oh, yeah. pull this off, and you're pulling this off, it's going to it's going to require citizens' action. You know, there are we can't necessarily just count on the institutions of government to do this. We we need to get, all get involved in this, and that's one of the uh, principal efforts at 28pages.org is equipping citizens to do that. 
Um, you know, if you're listening tonight and you're agitated and frustrated and you think, you know what, we deserve to see these 28 pages, I want you to please harness that energy while you're thinking of it, while you're doing it. Come to 28pages.org. Uh, we, we can help you out a lot of different avenues. If you want to make a quick phone call to Congress, it will literally take you just a couple minutes. You don't have to big, you know, make a big speech. You just have to let them know why you're calling them. And we've got scripts on 28pages.org to help you do that. If you, want to, if you don't like talking to anybody and you just want to send a letter, We've got pre-written letters where you can print it out, uh, you know, fill in some basic information and fire it away, and you wait for your reply to come back. Uh, we've, we've got the resources there to help you take and channel your energy and channel it into some action, because it's going to take that. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the uh, I think we're all you know in this conversation here probably very curious to know, gee, I would really like to know what's in those 28 pages. And you know, for all of us, secrecy of these 28 pages is imposed on us, this ignorance of what's in the 28 pages is imposed on us. For Congress, they have a choice. They can request permission from their intelligence committee and go read the 28 pages. What's right. astonishing is how few people in Congress have bothered to do that. In the last Congress, in the face of being mm -hmm. urged by all these congressmen to read these 28 pages, it's something in the order of 30 Congress uh, men and women out of 435 in the House requested permission wow. to read these so 28 pages. 10%? Yes. So we need to pressure these, uh, these our legislators to do their job. You know, it's part of this accountability. It's part of the republic. We need to pressure them to read the 28 pages so they know what's in it and then support House Resolution 14 uh, urging the president to declassify it. And at the same time, we're also looking for a senator to introduce a comparable resolution. There you go. And, and, and I know you got to go in a little bit, uh, Brian. I really appreciate the, you coming to the show. It's been as much time on you. Hopefully we'll be able to you know, get you back on to talk about this topic and uh, perhaps some others. But I do want to bring it uh, back over to you, Chuck, uh, so if there's any other uh, comments or anything of that nature you'd like to uh, ask or anything for our guests. Uh, uh, well, absolutely I would. Um, and this is a question I'd like to Asked to all of your listeners as well. This is an issue of the First Amendment. In the First Amendment, there are five rights. There are five rights within the First Amendment. Five liberties in the First Amendment. Now, if you do not know your rights, how can you defend them? As my good friend Chris Ann Hall points out, uh, over and over and over and over again. Chris Ann Hall is an amazing woman, a modern-day founding mother. What are those five rights that you are granted in the First Amendment in the United States Constitution? Do you know them all? Can you name them all? I'm not, I, you know, I don't want, don't answer it. I'm just asking those of you out there, can you name all five rights that you have in the First Amendment? Freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom to assemble, freedom to redress grievances of the government. If you don't know your rights, you can't defend your rights. And that's why my website is called constitutionalwar.org, because there is a war on to save our Constitution. 
We need to save this document. There is no other example in human history of a document that has liberated so many people. Yes, we've had we've we've had blemishes throughout our uh, you know, slavery. <laughs> you got what, what happened to the Indians. All this stuff is terrible. Nobody's going to debate that. I'm not going to debate that. What I am going to debate is when the government decides that we're going to go back in time. Back in time. That's what that, that that's what they are suggesting. We go back in time to when you did not have the freedom of religion, the freedom of speech, the freedom of the press, the freedom to assemble, and the freedom to redress grievance of government. That is the First Amendment, and that's why the First Amendment is first. These 28 pages are owed. <laughs> Not owed. They're owned. We own them we are not living in a monarchy. We are not living in Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Pakistan. This is the United States of America, and we get to know what's going on in our country as long as we demand it. If we don't demand it, well, <laughs> then you have to... Check out websites like our friend here is talking about. You got to check out a website Go like that because you got to check out a website like that because our government is not functioning the way our founding fathers intended it to function. And, and go, go ahead, Brian, because I know yeah. Brian's got to get ready to get going, so go ahead. And yeah, then can, Chuck, can we can bring it back to you. We do a on the line and also Constantine. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Brian. Robert, I can go into overtime with you. We're having a great time here. So. <laughs> if, if, oh, okay, if great. Want, if, if you have <laughs> yeah, a thing on your program. Can, I don't mind that. I appreciate now. it. Okay, great. Um, I was going to say, you know, he makes a great point. You know, these 28 pages, they are the people's 28 pages. You know, the, the inquiry that, you know, could – was conducted at great expense to the taxpayers. You know, that was the people's inquiry on our behalf, and this information is owned by us and due to us. And everybody who is a part of this movement on the House, and we're talking about for the former co-chair of this of the inquiry that created these 28 pages, former Senator Bob Graham, the congressmen who have, who have read it and have championed this issue, the three you know, who are championing it are uh, Walter Jones, North Carolina, Stephen Lynch of Massachusetts, Thomas Massey of Kentucky, all of them are unanimous in saying there is no threat to national security in releasing what's in these 28 pages. These are not properly classified. These should be released. Uh, and so you know, that's owed to us. And getting back to that First Amendment right, this is a, uh, a grievance that the American people have, that this information has not been shared with them. And it's up to all of us to get involved. Come to 28pages.org and uh, either call or write you know, to Congress, uh, call or write to the White House and make your voice heard and uh, you know, raise a little pitchfork and torch on this issue figuratively and, and let's, let's get some movement and demand it because, again, that is our, uh, our information and our report. 
And let's go ahead and, uh, gentlemen, let's uh, get uh, our lady of panelists in, and that is Cindy Todd uh, from Florida. So let's go ahead and bring her on. And uh, I see uh, a friend, uh, Constantine, we've, uh, uh, in the call as well. So just push the one on your number dial, Constantine, when you're ready to chime in. I know we've uh, had you on the uh, show a number of times. But first, yep, there he is. Uh, but first, let's go ahead and bring in Cindy. Thank you very much, Cindy, uh, for coming to the show. How are you? Uh, but real quick, uh, just a little program note, because I do see some other folks uh, out there and uh, also those in the chat, is that uh, we have about a half an hour left of live time uh, of the show. Uh, but many times uh, we'll be able to go into what we call the extended period, uh, which will last some time after uh, the two hours of live. Now, the whole show, including the extended period, is a part of the archive, so you'll be able to listen to it uh, later on and, of course, uh, share the link with uh, your friends. Uh, but also, if you do not call within the next 30 minutes there during this live portion of the show, unfortunately, you won't be able to hear or listen to the extended period, uh, nor, you know, maybe even more importantly, uh, not be able to call in and uh, chime in as well if there's any comments or questions you may have about uh, tonight's topic. Uh, so give us a call, and I uh, would we'll do that within the next uh, 30 minutes uh, or less uh, if you'd like to be able to chime in uh, at 347-945-7428. And, uh, of course, be a part of our, discu our discussion and be a part of our show tonight. And that is at 347 945 Seven four two eight. Uh, so let's go ahead uh, and, as I said, bring in Cindy. Thank you very much, Cindy, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Well, I'm doing just fine. And how are you, gentlemen, doing? Great, thank you. Good. Listen, I've been really enjoying this conversation because I, I really don't know a lot about this subject, but I do know uh, where our nation is going and where it came from and. Um, I know there's a lot in our history that points to this moment in history that it that it was bound to happen. You guys have all heard, you know, the historical cycle um, quote. I don't know who said it or who wrote it, but it goes like, you know, okay, people go from bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to courage, from courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance, and from abundance to selfishness from selfishness to apathy, from apathy to dependency, and from dependency back to bondage again. Now, I think that we are in the transition from apathy to dependency, and I think we're about halfway there because I think about half of our country is dependent on the government. And I think that this is uh, what's happening with the secretiveness of our government, the cover-up, the scandals, um, you know, the, the, the way money controls everything. I think that's all a symptom of the, the stage that we are going through right now. I, when, when the people get apathetic and they start depending on the government, two things happen. They don't care enough to get involved because they think their life is all set, they're okay, they got their paycheck coming in. And then <clears throat> the ones that are dependent on government don't dare say anything because they might lose that check or that, you know, that daddy might, 
think them. Okay, <laughs> so um, uh, I know Brian, you've probably looked at it from that way, um, but don't you think we're very close to going back into bondage, or at least to dependency? Well, yeah. I mean, I think there is a risk here that um, by not asserting ourselves in an example like this, you know, where we talked about how this information is due to the American people, uh, there's a risk in that. Um, and I think, you know, as far as that, that transition from apathy to, to dependency and, and, and to bondage, uh, you know, another angle on this is a lot of people have, have grown to be so trusting and assume that if something's classified, it's classified for good reason. You know, it kind of comes back to this sense of the government as a benevolent parent. <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> you know, that's, you know, far from the case, I think, in a lot of different avenues <laughs> of government. And, yeah. Uh, and the people assume, oh, it, it, there's a good reason for it to be classified. Well, no, there's a, you know, an epidemic of classification of which this is just one very prominent example. Um, but that that really turns the tables on the system of government, the republic, where you know the power flows from the people. If you have an uninformed and apathetic people who give far too much deference to government, uh, yeah, there's a great risk of of foiling the entire scheme of our government because you know we need a populace that uh, has informed people who take interest, who provide active oversight and uh, pursue the redress of grievances under the First Amendment, as Chuck had said. Uh, you know, we need that in order to, to to sustain our government. So this is one one avenue where you know Americans of all stripes and philosophies and parties and and so forth uh, can unite and come together and flex some of these muscles that have become atrophied and and pursue something and get a result from government together and get these twenty eight well, pages know, out. Well, you know, I ha- I have a I have a real I'm troubled about who it is that's moving this thing, trying to get it to come out. Bob Graham is a, is a Democrat. He, he was our, our governor here in Florida for a while, and then he was also a senator. And um, he was not anywhere close to <laughs> conservatives. He, didn't, he was a straight-down-the-ticket Democrat person. I mean, you, you just, you know, everything he did was just voting with the Democrats in, in, um, in the Senate. So I'm I'm wondering, what does this report have in it that could possibly have something to do with the upcoming election? We've got good old Jebby up there, Bush number three, trying to schmooze him. And he's, of course, got all the richest people. You've heard about all his fundraisers he's been going to. I mean, at this point, he's already got um, probably a billion dollars lined up for his campaign. And um and and I'm wondering, does this report say something about the Bushes, uh, W or at least uh George H. W. Does it say something in there that would pound on Jebby's uh nomination? Well uh, as as you as you study um Bob you know, as you contemplate Bob Graham's potential motives the, the uh, fl- former Florida senator, it's important to note that he, this is not a new issue for him, that dating all the way back to when he was co-chair of the intelligence uh, inquiry that produced these 28 pages, uh, which were published in 
way back in 2002. Um, he, at, the, at, the, at that time, he was uh, protesting this. So this is something he has written books about since then. So this is not something new. And you know, definitely all of that activism was well before you know, Jeb recently in these past few months you know, popped up as a, as a presidential contender. So I personally, you know, you, as you continue to survey the, uh, the evidence and look at it, you know, may draw a different conclusion. But for me, I really don't see any political opportunism on Graham's part. I sense that he's uh, pretty sincere, which to me is one of the really neat aspects of this 28 Pages movement is the fact that it uh, unites people who might have dramatically different ideas about government, who might have dramatically different ideas about education policy or government spending and deficits and defense budgets and what we do overseas and all this type of thing. Um, you have you know, both hawks and doves who want to know what's in these 28 pages. You have uh, uh, libertarians and you have conservatives and progressives you know, of all, all these different people who all want to know what's in the 28 pages because it comes back down to an informed public. We, when this information comes out, we may all go in different directions and draw different conclusions and make different arguments about what's in it. But the common denominator amongst all of us is that we all want information. We all want it to be an informed public that can make you know, informed decisions and know what the government knows about it. So I think it's, uh, le this isn't a red team versus blue team issue you know, like so many that we're accustomed to looking at. And uh, you know, it's an opportunity, I think, for all of us to come together. Uh, I, 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 I would like. I, I would like oh, to add one at a time. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Is this Chuck? Yeah, yeah. I would like to add to that. Yeah, for, yeah. We'll go ahead real, real quick, real quick, and, and this is how we'll do it because you know, I, as I said, I would like to bring it back to everyone. And here's how we'll do it. Here is go ahead, Chuck, and then I want to bring Ben back. And then over to you, Cindy, and then Constantine will be bringing you in. We also have Kelly on the line, uh, so we also want to bring our panelist Kelly in as well. So go ahead, Chuck. Yeah, what, what I would like to add to this is, look, I am a God-in-the-wall conservative. I'm a Ted Cruz type of guy. I, I, I like some things Rand Paul does. And uh, if if he was the nominee, I'd vote for him. But, you know, I really like a guy like Ted Cruz, like uh, Senator Chris McDaniel from Mississippi, guys that really don't leave anything out there to question and really push a conservative issue. At the same time, what are the Republicans? And because there is a difference between Republicans and conservatives. What is the Republican Party wanting to hide? And maybe in these 28 pages we'll find out that Bush was a total derelict. I don't know if he was a total derelict during 9-11. Maybe we'll find that out. But I'll tell you what, he was a total derelict when it came to running a conservative government when he pushed for Medicare Part D. When, when, when he pushed for no child left behind, when he pushed for all this stuff, when he didn't fight illegal immigration, when he didn't stand up for a baby in the womb. I know that George Bush was out to lunch, so why wasn't he out to lunch on this? And if he was out to lunch on this, we should be just as pissed off 
as we are about Barack Obama being out to launch on ISIS. We are a bunch of hypocrites when we want yep. to criticize Obama for his dereliction and his de- and look, Obama is the worst president in American history. Yeah. But George but 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 George Bush is in the bottom five as well. Okay? We've been screwed over by both parties for so long, and this isn't a, hey, join some third-party speech, because I'm not an idiot. Um, There really is a two-party system. It's not officially a two-party system, but if you want to win, you got to play in one of the parties. The Democrat Party has decided they're going to ride with Hillary Clinton. We got to make sure that who we ride with, homeboy, you know, uh, try try you know try to be a little hip here. <laughs> so we, you know, I'm pretty cool. I'm I'm cool like that, homeboy. We we we've got we've got to make sure that we are riding with a Ted Cruz, a Mike Lee, a Rand Paul, a Scott Walker, or something along those lines, because the second that we go back to being the dorks that support somebody, and, and look, I took a lot of flack for this in 2008 and 2012. I didn't support John McCain or Mitt Romney. And you... Those of you who have heard me on the show before, you know that. Yep. Why, why, right. why didn't I? Why did I not support them? Because they supported the same freaking policies as Barack Hussein Obama, who wants yep. to actively destroy this country. Those guys, I, I'm not going to say that they were activists in destroying this country in this republic in this constitution but they were complicit that's for sure and until we say enough is enough we want true champions and leaders that will say the unpleasant truths that all of us need to hear folks like Walter Jones who will call out Dick Cheney? I just sent you. I just sent you the video. You watch that video. Um, I don't know if you can put it up on your website or what it is, where he says Dick Cheney is going to burn in hell for lying about sending us into Iraq. We were lied to about going into Iraq. Going into Iraq. You know, I, 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 I will agree with going into Afghanistan, but going into Iraq has been just like going into Libya. And just like going into any uh, of the, these other countries, unless you have a plan to well, make it better than what it was, it will not be better than what it was. And I'll stop at this. I'll stop at this. Well, what's our final point? Yeah, well, what's our final point? What's our final, final, final point I want to make on this is somebody says, uh, article from over there, rare magazine or whatever they're called, rare something, says Libya has become the Somalia on the Mediterranean. Do you want what Obama right now is doing is making Syria 
Somalia, right next to Israel. And Israel is our friend, and we must defend Israel. We must defend Israel. But we're not going to defend Israel by getting rid of Assad, and, and, and we didn't help Israel out by getting rid of Hussein. Hussein had those bastards in check. Watch it. Uh, yeah. Hold on. <laughs> Watch it, Chuck. You know we don't uh, uh, do that on the show. So. <laughs> we're close to after dark. What's that? We're, yeah, we're close, close to, to Mars Logic After Dark. We're close, but... <laughs> but, but anyway, so we're going to go ahead and uh, and bring it over uh, to Ben, but shortly, just on... Uh, and this is my thoughts about uh, Iraq, is that I, I think that we waited so long to go in there. I personally do think, um, and I think if you look back, that, that there could be some evidence to show it. I do think there were, were uh, weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, I think they were uh, moved to Syria because I, the 18 months that they were talking about whether we're going to go uh, go in there gave uh, them plenty of time to move those weapons of mass destruction. I think I think they were there um, when it comes to Iraq. Um, darn it, there's another thing I was going to say, but uh, uh, I can't recall what that is. But so we'll go ahead and uh, and, and I'll check out the the, the video. I'll ch- hold on, Chuck. I'll, I'll check out the video. Hold on. I'll check out the video uh, you sent me, and then perhaps I'll <clears throat> be able to put that up on the website. But I do want to go ahead and bring things back over the bench. We still have Constantine on the line. Uh, I'd like to get him in. And I also want to bring in uh, uh, Kelly as well. Uh, so, Ben, if you got any thoughts here, and then uh, we'll bring in Constantine. And then uh, I want to so we'll bring in Kelly as well. And of course, we still want to get uh, some more input uh, from Brian. Uh, as our guest uh, tonight, and he is uh, being kind enough to uh, stay longer uh, than what he first uh, anticipated. So, of course, because of that, we definitely want to give him uh, as much time as we can. But first, let's go ahead and bring it over to you, Ben. Let's bring in Constantine, and then uh, we'll hear some more from Brian and then bring in Kelly. Go ahead, Ben. Okay, uh, thanks. I actually had uh, one more question for Brian. Um, I I was going to ask him about the JASTA bill, the, the against joint uh, sponsors of terrorism, and I, w- I was wondering uh, why that's necessary. Because the fa- when the USS Cole was bombed, um, the family, the families who lost loved ones in that attack, were able to sue the state of Sudan. And I- I'm wondering why they could do that, but why now with Saudi Arabia they need a bill to do that? So that's my question. Okay, yeah, that's a uh, very good question. I don't know if it's going to be one I'm going to be uh, able to, to answer particularly well. To give some background, though, uh, JASTA that he's talking about is a uh, bill before Congress, or you know, being pursued in Congress. Uh, JASTA stands for Justice Against Sponsors of Terrorism Act, and it is meant to clear a path to uh, help uh, those who uh, were victimized in 9-11 and conceivably too in future terrorist acts, I think, uh, to be able to sue other governments. There's you know, these uh, sovereign immunity claims that can be made, and I know JASTA will help do that. I don't know the details of uh, why uh, in, in another uh, situation that was able to uh, happen. That, that was a claim against whom? In that case, uh, in the cold case? Sudan, which is kind of strange because it was Yemen that the attack was launched out of. But you know, where it happened because... 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that answer. Okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, no problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, let's go uh, ahead, folks, and uh, bring in Constantine. Appreciate uh, your patience, and then I want to bring uh, Kelly in uh, after that. So thank you very much, Constantine, for coming to the show. How are you? Well, it's always a pleasure to be on Bard's Logic. How are you guys doing? Great. Good. How are you? We're doing great. Awesome. I was just making the natives restless again. You know, it's a really interesting <laughs> topic, you know. And, uh, you know, it, it's amazing to me, really, how many different uh, conspiracies and how many thoughts and how many ideas people have over this issue. But, you know, something, something that uh, – you know, people ask me, you know, you know, why did I get lo- involved in local politics? And usually when somebody asks me, well, why don't you get in, you know, uh, bigger stuff than that? You know, they usually will bring up 9-11. And it's like, I understand why you want to know all this, do it, do, want to know all this information because it is good to know. But what would you do about it if you had it? My perspective is even if they released it, would you really trust what they released? They released it anyway, because <laughs> it seems like there's always a way to spin things you know and uh also as a reminder to those of you out there who are activists i certainly um 100 percent for activism trust me because i was was one but i'm also the guy that ran for a city council place here in abilene texas that got a, a texas ranger to find a charge and now i'm on probation because i was railroaded so if you're going to fight for or against or whatever anything you know, number one, if you make the wrong people mad, it doesn't matter how right you are. Uh, you have no constitutional rights if you can't afford to pay for a lawyer that will uh, defend you. You know, yep. and, that, and that's just the way it went. You know, I was appointed We've had a couple attorney. People in the there show was the same office. That. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was, I was, I was appointed an attorney that works in the same office as a person that I'd ran against two years before, and you know, and uh, I had no choice. I had to plead no contest because there wasn't going to be one. You know. As far as this issue is concerned, yeah, sure. I would love to hear all that information. Really, what interests me more than anything, and not everybody talks about it as much, is what happened to Building 7. You know, because uh, that that one seems preposterous. You know, I mean, the thing is, there's a lot of people that say, you know, uh, the other two buildings were, you know, demolition. I've had people even say that the planes didn't fly in and them. You know, I mean... <laughs> I think that what if, if you if you throw out the this paperwork, you know, just from a practical sense, I agree with you guys. In America, we should know what we, we should have the right to know certain things. But from my perspective, as a person that's run for office, as a person that's been around other politicians, even if they did release it, I wouldn't believe a damn thing that was in it. I mean, because that's what that's what you do when you're a politician: Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Aquarian. You know, Luciferian. I don't care who you are. The thing is, it doesn't matter how good your your uh, platform is if you don't get elected. And if you are elected and you've been pr- elected more than one term, chances are pretty good that you've had to sell out to um, stay there. You know, so I always have concerns about the honesty uh, of the people that are up there. And if you really think as an individual that you know you can change national uh, politics, you know. Um, I would say the chances are good. Should you try? Hell yeah! But the thing is, is keep your keep your uh, expectations realistic, and also keep the fact that you know what? If you make the wrong people mad, well, let me just put it this way: if you really believe these people, whoever it is, 
candidate A is corrupt. Why in the hell wouldn't you think that he would do something illegal or immoral to shut you up if uh, you're uh, threatening him? You know, and, and that's the caveat I always like to throw in when you're talking about this stuff, because if there's some big conspiracy that has billions of dollars you know, involved, you don't think that they're going to come down to whoever you are, wherever you are, and do whatever they need to to shut you up? Because sometimes it's not about what's right, wrong, or different. It's just about the money, you know? Oh, I certainly agree with that. I'd like to speak to the, yeah, that, that, you know. that, that thought about you know, when they come out, they'll be spun one way or the other. That's true. I mean, everything under the universe of government and politics is spun you know, by one, one person or another. What's happening right now is these 28 pages are being spun in a closed envelope. You know, you've got uh, Philip Zelikow, the executive director of the 9-11 Commission, trying to tell us that, oh, there's nothing to see here and, you know, don't bother looking at it. Uh, you've got other people who think it's, it's, it very much should be seen. Um, when it does come out, these, you know, these 20 pages, they're, you know, they were written. They're static. They're what they were written in 2002. Um, that, uh, and the people who want – or. One of the people who most wants them to come out is the person who co-chaired the inquiry that wrote them. So when they do come out, uh, we're going to have a, a person who was on that committee who will be an advocate, if you will, to you know help us understand its meaning. Now, but but he, like everyone else, I'm talking about Senator Bob Graham. Um, you know, yes, we, I mean the American people will have to evaluate the spin of everybody and the comments are made for everybody. But what we're what right now we're we're doing all this and spinning our wheels, frankly, you know, for lack of knowing you know, what, what the essence of this is. Once it comes out, then we can have that, you know, these debates and discussion based on, on what's in these 28 pages. And they're not necessarily – these 28 pages are not necessarily – they're not scrolls of wisdom necessarily that you know, are eternal truth. You know, it is, it's the, the preliminary findings from this, this uh, inquiry. The inquiry, when it's concluded, said, you know, there's so much more to investigate, and that has one of the things that Bob Graham has been on is that there are so many more threads that need to be more thoroughly investigated, you know, by the FBI or whomever uh, that have never been pursued. You know, these these threads that potentially lead back to Saudi Arabia. So, uh, it's you're exactly right. When it comes out, it's not going to be necessarily an end. It's going to be the beginning you know, of a next chapter of transparency and inquiry. Um, you know, one former CIA analyst, Ray McGovern, we're talking about these 28 pages and you know, all these questions and controversies swirling around 9/11. He said, "You know, in a, these 28 pages, I look at them like the, you know, if you look, it's like a mummy. Once you, this will be like the first thread. And once you pull on it, you're going to start unraveling, you know, a lot more that comes behind it. So, okay, with uh, that, no, of course, uh, Constantine." Uh, you know, we'll stay on the line. I do see we got about uh, five minutes left of the lifetime before we go into the extended period, which sometimes, as uh, you alluded to, <laughs> uh, Cindy, was Bard's logic after dark. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, bring in our third panelist here, and that is our good friend Kelly. Thank you very much, Kelly, for coming to the show. How are you? Hey, good. I'm really Brian came on tonight. I'm sorry. I missed quite a bit. I took my son swimming. And then we went out for dinner. Um, but, yeah, I, I am glad that the truth is coming out. I'm trying to click over with my web to the 28pages.org website. And, uh, oh, what do you know? Just, uh, golly gee, they declassified um, some information. And I'm glad we have several congressmen who are like, hey, 
it's about time we did this. Um, Ryan, I guess one of the questions I have for you, and by the way, uh, before we go into overtime, I want to give you a preview of uh, uh, problems here in the county I'm at. I was at the uh, County Planning Commission today. They passed a bill that's going to allow a somewhat Gestapo tax by the planning department, but I'll go into that later. But, Brian, I want to ask you a question with um, how many of the congressmen have you seen who um, are thinking that it's appalling that these documents have not been released to the public? Well, I mean, our best indicator of that right now of, of that is uh, how many people have co-sponsored, uh, how many congressmen and women have co-sponsored House Resolution 14. That's the you know, principal the tip of the spear of the 20 pages movement right now is this uh, House resolution. At the end of the last Congress, uh, we got up to 21 co-sponsors. Uh, at this one, you know, with, with each new Congress, you start over from scratch. So now it's House Resolution 14. Um, we're up to 13 co-sponsors, you know, already in a, in a month and a half. So we're, we're, we're on a pace to, you know, soon surpass that. Um, and there is some momentum building here. We had uh, seven sign on in just three days last week. Um, oh, that's great. And, and representative of both parties. That said, out of 435 in Congress, that's a pretty small number. And uh, before you joined us, one of the points I, I shared with the audience was that, uh, and it's the latest post, as a matter of fact, at 28pages.org, uh, a headline that says, Report Confirms Very Low 28 Pages Readership on Capitol Hill. Uh, last session, we had uh, uh, congressmen urging their colleagues to read these 28 pages, saying that, they were shocked by what they found there, that it caused them to stop every few pages and rearrange their understanding of history, I mean, describing it in very dramatic terms. And yet now uh, our worst suspicions are confirmed in that uh, only somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 people in Congress last session, last Congress, uh, in the 113th Congress, requested permission to read the 28 pages. Jeez, wow. I'm curious to know what's in those 20 pages <laughs> as a citizen. These people are making wow. life and death decisions on uh, policy, and they didn't even have oh, the human geez. curiosity to go down and wow. read these 28 pages. Wow. Now that mm-hmm. wow. you know what I think that's the most that is the most profound thing you've said all night. That's unbelievable. Well, and I think it's plausible deniability. I think they I think they don't read it because they don't want to be asked about it. And if they read yeah. it, then they'll uh, have folks uh, such as. Uh, yourself, Brian, and, and folks like us uh, asking them, and if they haven't read it, uh, they only have to answer uh, to reason why they have it, and they, of course they can make something up as an excuse for that, uh, but then if they actually read it, then they have to answer. Also, you know, also you have to understand, congressmen, senators, oh. House of Representatives, majority of them don't actually read this stuff themselves anyway. They have their aides do it. Just wanted <laughs> to throw true. that in, because yeah. that's the that's reality. Great, the majority of the people don't read it themselves. Like they have somebody <laughs> in their staff read it. That's a great point, and that uh, that was so. actually shared with that very point was shared with me by a uh, senior Senate staffer when I said, "Why wouldn't they read it?" Uh, the, the staffer said, Brian, these people mm. are used to having a staffer read and highlight and circle, and for them the idea of just going down and reading this 28 pages by themselves would, might seem kind of daunting, which is mm. <laughs> beyond pathetic, I think, your audience. Yeah, agree. Supreme yeah. Court justice yeah. That's why we need to be active matter. and demand that they read those 28 you know. pages and Good. send them a letter, make a phone call. Hey, can well, I ask, well, was, well, my representative, was my representative one of them that read it or at least may have even signed on? to the resolution. Oh, who's your Ron representative? Ron DeSantis. No. You're, what state are you in? Florida. Flo- Florida? 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, right now, only Bill Posey of Florida 8 is the only – oh, and Alan Grayson. You have a Republican okay. and Democrat uh, from Florida. Oh, and Ted Yoho. I'm sorry. I keep seeing more here. Yeah, there's three Floridians. But, yes, we've got, uh, like, scripts and pre-printed letters on our website you can use to make a call or write a letter and rattle their cage on this. And this is different. Yeah, we want them to co-sponsor House Resolution 14, but in our movement we're also trying to do some accountability about just reading these 28 pages. So we, ask, we, we urge people to ask, have you read the 28 pages or have you asked permission to do so? And you watch. Uh, if if you're cong- it's a woman, right? Congresswoman uh, is like others. They're going to duck that question. They're, they're just going to ignore no, he's it. A man. And you're going to have to. Re- you'll, okay, I, I thought I heard a, a, a woman's name there, but yeah, he'll. The um, staff will all, in all likelihood, duck that question, and you're going to need to repeat it and say, "Look, I just asked a very straightforward question. Have they read the 28 pages? Have they asked permission to do so? That's you know, and you'll ultimately you might beat an answer out of them. <laughs> well, hey, Brian, I, I remember. Well, Let's go ahead, Kelly. Okay. Well, yeah, well, Brian, I remember when I watched a video about Tom Massey mm-hmm. and another congressman. Uh, it was like a YouTube video, whatever. They got right. together and they talked about it. And yep. I think uh, one of them was a Democrat, the other was a Republican, I think. Um, and I was stunned. Um, the obvious here is this just forget party lines. we got a serious problem here. And. Uh, exactly. So that was, you know, that really stunned me at first. And I, I guess, uh, how many Democrats do you have on, on your uh, list, Congressman? Just a moment. As Carl Sagan would say, billions and billions. No, no, actually. Uh, eight of the 13. <laughs> eight of the 13. At the end of the uh, 113th Congress, you know, when, we, wow. when we flipped over and had to write a new resolution, we had 21 co-sponsors, and it was 10 from one party and 11 from another. And that's, again, getting back yeah. to, I think, one of the beauties of this movement is it's highly bipartisan. Yeah. Yeah, but I still I, I can't get over thinking, okay, even Bob Graham, when he was in the thick of things back in the early 2000s, he still he still got a a, um, a Republican president in office who is squelching this information and. Isn't that the reason why he may have been working so hard to get his, you know, this information out? And even now, okay, then he was silent for a long time, many, many years. And now all of a sudden, uh, you know, right before an election, he comes back with it again. I just can't help but think that this could have something to do with the Bushes and Jebby Boy coming on and... uh Okay. Well his activism on this way preceded Jeb Bush jumping in and like I said, he has in in the years since then he has he wrote first he wrote a book about uh touching on these issues, a a non fiction book. Um it was subject to censorship and they took out much of what he wanted to communicate. And then somebody gave him the idea and you might have heard of this in other avenues, but people will in government who want to tell their tale, they'll write a novel, quote unquote. Yeah. You, know, you you called a novel. So then he wrote a novel on this. So this is no new avenue. And I'm not, you know, his advocate or anything like that. I'm I'm just kind of relating to you my observance yeah. of him on this issue and his history on this issue is pretty continuous. And you know, I've definitely re- I've reached the personal judgment that he's sincere on this. And I'm sure he and I would uh, differ on many 
other issues of government, you know. Yeah. Well, as far as I'm concerned, many other things, but yeah. As far as I'm concerned, I, I, I'd love to see it come out, even if it is about the Bushes, because I I do not want another Bush as our nominee. I, I don't. I think that's the worst thing we could possibly do is put up Jeb Bush as our nominee. Oh, yeah. And it would well, be Jeb Bush up there and Hillary Clinton would win the presidency because people are not going to vote. The, the general public is not going to vote you very public. Is not going to vote another Bush into the into the the White House. It's just not going to happen. That that will well, not happen. If you see a Jeb Bush, I can, see, I can see all the loyal Republicans, you know, start voting for their you know their party again. But you're not going to get independents, libertarians. You're not going to get any crossover Democrats. You're, when they see the name Bush on the thing, they're all everybody's going to hold their nose. Oh, well, that's what I mean. Republicans will vote for them, but the Dem- the independents won't. In, in, independence oh. won't vote for another. But I don't. I, I wouldn't see them voting for another. Um, voting for another Bush. Hmm. Well, uh, I'm sure hoping the information. You know, there's a lot of information I'm hoping comes out. You know, they're hiding the IRS uh, information about how the IRS has been um, persecuting uh, conservative organizations. They're they're still hiding Benghazi stuff. There there's oh man, I mean you just go down the list. There's so many of them that they're hiding. Even the the gun running, you know that that has just fizzled and gone away. And if we don't get some of this stuff out and and start like like Robert or maybe I forget who it was that said it. They they thought that there was some people up in Washington that need to be hung for treason, and I totally agree with that. But we're never going to be able to get any of it out if we don't start somewhere. We've got to get the whole nation has to get behind at least one of these scandals and just force these scandals to come to bust wide open. And then maybe we can go from there and start toppling them like dominoes. But until we break through that shell, that power shell, um, nothing's going to get done. And these jaybirds are going to get away. What do you think, Ben? Oh, um, you know, I'm going to bring it back over to you, Ben. Oh, I, I agree. Um, you know, I don't, I don't really want to see any of the uh, either Clinton or Bush be president because I think they're, you know, basically the same when it comes down to the important stuff. But um, I mean, I don't know. I, it's, it's kind of like not a very good time right now. It's kind of very. Uh, feels like the world's crashing in on everybody. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, so Constantine, you you know, you, it sounds like you you have some experience analysts uh, electorally. Uh, so, what's your thoughts on what Cindy's been saying? And then uh, we'll bring it back to you, Kelly, mm-hmm. and then Brian. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, those yeah, are the, those people that uh, you know, especially those people that didn't like them. But you know, for those of you who who uh, think that uh, the GOP, especially as a party, would not vote. For uh, you know things like the Bush quail, you know what I'm saying is, is you know it may be a bird, but it still flies out there. It may be hiding and everything like that. But the thing is, people vote for what they know. If you read the book called by Sun Tzu, that's written in 500 something BC, uh, it has a concept called uh, uh, moral law, and moral law states that people, as a general rule, 
trust that the people that were that are or were in power were good and doing a good job or are there because of some kind of divine intervention or they wouldn't have been there in the first place. The average person just votes for a name they recognize and usually their vote isn't any more complicated than that. And I hate to say that, but it's true. Probably probably 70% mm-hmm. of everybody that votes probably don't even know anything more than uh, what maybe they heard on, on the night news, if they hear they've heard that much. You know, it, it's really unusual to get somebody that's an informed person. So if a person that named Bush runs for office, yeah. no matter which one it is, chances are the vast majority of people that are hardcore people that are, you know, traditionally Republican, they're going to vote for him. No matter what anybody else thinks, you know that's just the way it is. Well, that's I how, Republicans how things would, have been done a long form, time. But, uh, yeah, but I don't think independents. <laughs> but that's just well, kind of a, it's a different question. But you know what they said? Is, you know, think uh, the old old school Republicans aren't going to vote for a Bush, or old school Democrats aren't going to vote for a Clinton. <laughs> uh, I, that's that's contrary to my experience. But you know, like I said, I've been around. You know. <laughs> you know, and I, I think that probably well, know you know, a, lot a lot of people of, don't really realize of, uh, how Republicans much. who didn't vote for Romney. Well, you know, I mean, that, that's possible. But the thing is, he also made an idiot out of, uh, out of himself. But the thing is, even then, sometimes it, it, it's a mindless thing. That's the reason why, you know, uh, there, there's a thing where you can just vote for a ticket. You know, I mean, you can just vote vote straight party ticket. You know, I guess if mm-hmm. you're that devoted right. to your party, that's great. But you know, I th- I think as a thinking individual, you need to vote for each independent independent election. But you know, I would say on the other hand, if you're not well informed, uh, vote for the party that least and most likely reflects your uh, viewpoints. If you don't know about the election, then somebody who doesn't just because. You know, I mean, um, I like libertarians a lot, um, pretty cool people just in general. I don't necessarily share their viewpoints, but, you know, there's been times where I've voted for libertarians simply because of the fact, just simply because of the fact that I knew the Republican and the Democrat, and I knew that the libertarian wasn't going to win, but I was going to vote for those guys. Most people aren't like me, and that's a sad part about it. Back to you. Well, we talked we, we talked a lot in 2012 when we were covering the elections, and Cindy and I know Cindy and uh, Kelly would remember is uh, we were you know really telling for folks to you know vote your conscience. I mean, I got a lot of slack. I'm sure Cindy and Kelly did as well. We got a lot of slack or slack, whatever you want to call it, um, for not voting for the uh, for Romney. <laughs> you know, not voting uh, for the party line. I mean, I I, I got you know hate calls and everything because of that. But um but no, I voted my my conscience, you know, I uh, I was favoring the uh, candidate for the Constitution Party uh in two thousand twelve. And we interviewed a lot of Constitution Party candidates uh here on the show because that's you know we you know they're constitutional conservatives and you know, I fall more the lines of that uh than anything else. And so but yeah as well you know, but a lot of folks to the line but two thousand twelve you know, I think just with the way the Republican Party handled themselves, uh, a lot of folks said, nah, no, thank you. So. But, Kelly, I do want to uh, swing things back uh, your way uh, because you, you just got on. We want to be able to hear some more from you uh, on uh, any of the topics or anything else you'd like uh, to bring with you this evening. 
Kelly. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sorry, I, I was switching my... Uh, you're anyway, right. blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> you're multitasking. Yeah, well, I, I um, you know, Brian... Uh, um, Robert, go ahead and give him my phone number over the internet, whatever, because um, I would love to see okay. a federal a federal grand jury independently, fully empowered, go after 9-11 to get the truth out. And um, about 9-11, I became like 99.999% sure that it was an inside job or something went awire, um, awry because of what happened with the White Plains Grand Jury in New York. Now, if you know about law enforcement, <clears throat> there's machinery that's already in place. It's on autopilot, if you will. And what happens is, oh, big crime happened. Well, let's get some investigation. Let's get this over to the grand jury. So a judge convened a grand jury in White Plains, which is the federal district, um, New York. And then uh, a few days into this, someone from the Justice Department, which I would call the Injustice Department, someone from the <clears throat> Justice Department walks in to the grand jury and says, Oh hey, grand jury! Uh, thank you for your time and service, but we won't—we won't need you anymore. The Justice Department will be taking over the investigation. When wow. I researched that and found this, because I wrote a book about the grand jury, when I researched this, I'm like, oh my gosh! It was one in the morning. What book was that, Kelly? Uh, the what? <laughs> oh, the Hidden <laughs> Force Branch. Yeah. Yeah, what book was that, Kelly? What book? Yeah, it's I'm called trying to give you a little plug opportunity here. Oh, okay, a little, little plug. Okay, it's on Amazon. All right. Anyway, when I in my research I found this out, I'm like, oh my gosh! I didn't sleep till 4:30 in the morning because you know the grand jury is composed of radio citizens that has power of subpoena, and with the judge, you don't uh, comply with your subpoena, you're going to jail, and it will break the silence of witnesses witnessing corruption. And when the Justice Department does that kind of crap. They're trying to protect someone because the, the Fifth Amendment mm. reads, all right, no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless under presentment or indictment by a grand jury. What does that mean? Yeah, but I will point out before you before you go on with that because this is it is important. In my case, I was brought before the grand jury five times before I was indicted. Didn't work the first four, so they tried it. You know, they probably would just kept on going with it. Uh, that's probably not standard well, procedure, you know. I mean, I I cost our mayor about two hundred sixty million dollars, but you know, it, but still, um, just because they've gone to a grand jury, I mean, and there's a state, and there's a, and if and for him who knows about grand juries, there's a statement in Texas you can indict a ham sandwich. It took five to indict me when the Texas Ranger himself said this guy didn't do anything wrong. This is political. Well, <laughs> well Rick, Rick, Rick Perry, yeah, mm-hmm. Rick Perry when he got in, they're not Rick Perry. Um, House Majority Leader Tom DeLay. I you go for a ham sandwich right now, by the way. I want to get back to the power of the grand jury to get to the bottom of 9-11. Okay? That, that's where I'm going with this. So House Majority Leader Tom DeLay, it took three grand juries. Um, Ronnie Earl, he was the Travis County, which is Austin, Travis County prosecutor who was just totally had it out for DeLay and finally got him, but that's a whole other story. This is how grand juries can be manipulated to go get somebody or at the will of the Justice Department to protect somebody. So the Fifth Amendment requires a presentment or indictment. 
Otherwise, you're not held to answer. Ergo, no indictment. You can do whatever you want. You can get away with murder. Ted Kennedy, Tabaquitic. Grand jury didn't indict him because the judge sealed up the evidence. So these games are going on. However, we've got strategies that can get a petition to a grand jury to which they can issue a presentment. And what could happen here is serious problems. It's what brought uh, Nixon down in Watergate, the famous Watergate 7 indictment. Anyway, there are some techniques. Um, I'd be glad to, um, off the air, uh, Robert, give my number, in case you have some contacts sure. in the area that want to uh, go forward with this. But there is no hate, there is no double jeopardy with uh, a grand jury, and people out there Correct. should realize that. So just because it, it did pass a grand jury, that doesn't necessarily mean the first one pushed it through. So. Right. Well, there's there's there are tricks because the Justice Department. There was a comment about Eric Holder. One of the congressmen said, "All he's done is protect Obama." Well, yeah. You block petitions to grand juries. You manipulate grand juries. You do everything you can. Because the Fifth Amendment protects you. It's it's stunning when you see the manipulation. And I I, I went through the U.S. Attorney Manual. I went through case law. I went through all so much stuff. It's like, oh, this is why our government has gone so corrupt. Because the Justice Department, through deception, controls the grand jury. It's frightening. But we uh, there's tricks. I'm telling you, there's tricks that we I've been working on for a long time. Anyway, that's, that's enough said about that. But if you want to contact me, Brian, that'd be great. Okay. Go ahead, well, Brian. We if you got one, any comments on that, then I'll bring Cindy back in. Real quick, Cindy, we'll bring you in a second. Go ahead and let, let uh, Brian respond, and then go ahead, Cindy. Oh, you want me to go now? Yeah, go no, ahead. No, Brian, and then you. Oh. oh, okay. Go ahead, Brian. Um, I guess one thing I would say about the courtrooms and 9-11 is that it's in, it's in courtrooms often that we are learning some of the most – it's often in courtrooms where new revelations come out. You know, there's structure in courtrooms and uh, rules of evidence and discovery and that type of thing. So the 9-11 families and uh, insurance companies suing 9-11, uh, Saudi Arabia is an avenue for that. Um, and, you know, the recent – Articles you may have seen uh, about the 20th hijacker, Zacharias Moussaoui, um, and his uh, accusations he leveled at Saudi Arabia and his accusations of having personal, you know, being flown to Saudi Arabia and uh, currying money and messages back and forth between Osama bin Laden and uh, members of the Saudi royal family, if you, if you dig into that reporting. Um, you know, that happened in the context of a lawsuit. And so, and you know, it's also not only people like Zacharias Musawi, but you have also an opportunity to put uh, members of the government under oath uh, about you know their activities you know uh, at the time and preceding it and learn new things about it. So the, the courtroom does offer that opportunity. Um, with that, um, Robert, I'd like to, I'm going to need to sign off now. Um, but I wanted no, to I'm thank you so much for the extra time uh, with us. Yeah, I, I want to thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to discuss this issue with your audience and uh, uh, hopefully enlighten them a little bit on, on a few things and uh, spark some curiosity to learn even more. Um, and I just encourage them to come to visit 28pages.org. Um, please get involved. It doesn't take you know, just a few minutes to rattle the cage of your, uh, of your House representative, your senators, uh, by asking if they've read those 28 pages and encouraging them to 
uh, either you know, sign on to House Resolution 14 in the House or to introduce a resolution in the Senate, um, please do that. Uh, and also, if you want to keep up with the movement uh, and new developments in what's going on, uh, please follow us uh, on Twitter. We're at 28pages on Twitter or on Facebook, facebook.com backslash 28pages911, and you can find links to you know, both the Twitter and the Facebook at 28pages.org. But thanks again so much, Robert, and to everybody here tonight who uh, uh, participated in the discussion. I really enjoyed it. Oh, we appreciate you spending. What, what, one last question. It's real quick. Do you have a hashtag sure. on Twitter? Uh, I mean, my, the handle's at 28 pages. Hashtag, a lot of times we hashtag uh, HRES14 to draw attention to the uh, resolution or 28 pages. But, uh, you know, the main thing is the uh, okay. handle at 28 pages for the account. Yep. Okay, great. Well, really appreciate it. And uh, thank you very much. I've seen uh, you put a, a link there. Uh, to uh, the Bard's Logic uh, uh, page uh, for Facebook on the website. I really appreciate that. Thank you, and I really oh, appreciate you, we'll you, you spending as uh, much time with there. us on the show. Great. Thanks so much. Take care. You're welcome. Have a good night. Take care. Good night. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, folks, definitely check out uh, 28pages.org. Uh, get a hold of uh, your congressmen, congresswomen, and get those uh, pages revealed uh, for at least – uh, we could see what's in them, at least what they tell us what's in them, as is, is, uh, Constantine uh, pointed out. Uh, but it definitely give us something uh, to investigate and to um, discuss. And speaking of that, let's go ahead and bring things uh, back to you, Ben, if you've got any questions or comments you'd like to make. Then let's go ahead and bring it uh, to Constantine, and then we'll uh, bring it back around to uh, Cindy and then you, Kelly. And then I see that we've got about uh, 30 minutes left of the show before I definitely have to uh, start shutting things down for the evening. So we do, we still have some time here and uh, the extended period of what we like to call Bard's Logic After Dark. Uh, so go ahead, Ben, and then we'll bring it over to you, Constantine, Ben. Okay, thanks, guys. Um, since Brian didn't bring it up, uh, speaking of stuff coming out in court, um, down in Sarasota, Florida, there was also a Saudi oh, Arabian wow. belt. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Um, down in Florida, there was another. There were more hijackers down, living down there, and uh, just recently, like in 2011, there's a judge down there that is trying to that is in the process of revealing like uh, 80,000 pages on um, uh, some of the hijackers who visited a Saudi family down in Sarasota, and like mm. I, I think a week or two before 9/11 actually happens, this family. Uh, had fled their house and left like a bunch of stuff behind and like took all their money and left like PT cruisers in the, in the parking lot and stuff. Which wow. is really strange. Yeah. And so, um, the joint inquiry never really knew about this and they asked the FBI and FBI claimed to know nothing about it. But, uh, now it turns out there was like 80,000 pages in that investigation. So hopefully that'll come out soon. But yeah, that's it. Wow, incredible stuff going going on all over the place uh, with, with this stuff. Uh, so go ahead, Constantine. Still see him on there. Unfortunately, it looks like uh, we missed Ben. Uh, ben hit. Unfortunately, uh, we won't be able to get him back as once. Of course, as you know, uh, the calls drop here during the extended period. Unfortunately, folks will be able to call back. Uh, so I want to thank uh, Ben for uh, you coming to the show, and hopefully 
while you're listening to this archive, uh, sharing the archive, and the link with uh, your friends uh, that uh, we welcome you to come back uh, later on to the show. So, uh, Constantino, we still got you on the, the line to see you there. Well, until he comes back on, let me just say this. At least we had a little bit of sure, help from the judicial. We had a little bit of help from the judicial system uh, when they, when they, uh, they uh, Texas, yeah, federal Texas judge um, stopped the amnesty program of Obama for at least a while. But you know, not that it really matters because he's not going to deport anybody. Uh, and he and our borders are basically no. open. They're just basically open. Um, so I don't know how how much that. We want tomorrow to be able to get Obamacare. Is what he wants. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we we uh, we're in we're in sad shape on that border. Real sad shape. And uh, I got to tell you all this. You, some of you have heard me talk about my Mexican daughter-in-law, Carmen. And um, for the third time a few weeks ago, family members of hers were kidnapped again. And uh, oh my uh, gosh! It's it's due to God's help and Carmen's just steel wit. I've never seen anybody. I mean, she she they called her and they told her the the kidnappers called her. They got her number off of her sister's phone, who was one of the kidnapped victims. And they told her that she was going to have to give them $10,000 or they were going to ship her sister and her other relatives to her in plastic garbage bags in pieces. That's awful. um, I'm sorry, Cindy. Yeah. Yeah. And... She she took over and she <laughs> she reamed those guys out and she told them, look here. She said, I don't have ten thousand dollars, but I'll tell you this: I am a child of God, and if you mess with my family, you've messed with God, and you are going to be in so much trouble. You are going to burn in hell, and and I'm going to be glad you're there. <laughs> and I mean, she just went on and on and told these guys what for and I mean just really I mean she wasn't yelling at them she was just very patiently telling them what they were in for if they messed with her family and the first guy gave up and he said I can't talk to her and he he gave her to the other guy she did the same thing to him he gave up talking to her and 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 they ended up letting the family go (laughs) wow I mean that that is, that well, I'm amazed so at awesome. that, I have to say. Amazing. But this is the third time that this has happened to her family directly. They've killed... Oh, they've where, do they, where do they live? Are they still living in Mexico? or? Yes, I'm not going to say it over the air just in case. Um, no, no, they, no, they, that's fine now. But they, because they um, they got her number, they they, they were able to find her on Facebook and on the, in the phone. and I mean, they can find you. Did you know what she told me? Did you know the drug cartels who own the phone companies down there? It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, so they can get any number that they want. They have all the num- access to everything, uh, everyone's phone numbers. So um, 
Anyway, wow. this is the third time that this has happened to her family. And the the mountains around where they live are just covered in warring factions uh, of drug cartels. And they're fighting among each other. Each other. And anybody who goes up there uh, is considered one of the enemies. And they'll shoot you down. And her father and anybody else who has to go up there to hunt is taking their life in their hands. They get shot at all the time. Um, it's a mess down there because their government has, has reached a level of corruption that we have not reached yet, but we're very close. We're getting there quick, Cindy. I notice. Yeah. yeah we have a homeless shelter here in Marika. I've been in the same office complex for years. It's a mini mall, a kind of an older one, but um, cozy. But out back, we got this bridge and we got a creek and and there's homeless people, gosh, several times. Oh man, you got you got a couple bucks, and it's it's getting worse. I've been here since for seven years now. It's getting worse and worse. We finally got a homeless shelter. The community's like, ah, oh, there's not too many. We we had a record twenty people, one of the nights. This is a small town, and we've had average of ten to twelve. Um, it's it, it's just getting worse. And when the economy gets bad because of corruption. When the economy gets bad, people get desperate. They start kidnapping. They start stealing. I, mean, I was stopped by a cop once walking home. I was a couple blocks away. cop just pulled me over at 10 o'clock at night. Says, what are you doing? Oh, hey, how you doing? You have to know these guys. Oh, I'm just walking home. I just live up there. Oh, okay. Well, we've had reports of local businesses getting broken in and having uh, computers and whatever stolen. And this this county has a lot of good, you know, values and stuff. But um, when people get poor, they get desperate. They do acts of violence. They got to survive. They got to eat. They get desperate. And it's just it's just really a sign of the consequences of corruption. Cuba, you know, Batista wasn't very honest. China was a republic for a while, but he was corrupt as could be. So communism sounded good. I mean, out of the frying pan into the fire. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if things don't get better economically, we are going to continue to see even worse here in America. And, you know, the the tipping point of regime change, if you will, or revolution is when, you know, you look at the French Revolution, people were starving. And they overthrew the government, you know, and then they overthrew it again and again and again. There wasn't much of a moral base in France at the time. You know, there are 12 constitutions now. You know, Constitution du jour, I guess you call it in France. But it's that corruption Hmm. factor that just really gets all sorts of problems. And anyway, can I go into my local situation here? Yeah, certainly. Okay. Um, Unless other people want to chime in, because it can be a little bit long, but it's real interesting. No, go ahead, Kelly. Okay, so... Uh, last night, I ran into a fellow Liberty fighter, local. He's, you know, it's, it's about the marijuana ordinance. I'm like, well, I don't really smoke marijuana. I don't grow it. I don't care. But he was telling me that the planning department has, in the ordinance, the ability to come on your property and search things and whatever, see if you're in compliance with the proposed standards. And they can do an abatement. I'm like, whoa, hold on a second. Wait a minute, in your home? Pretty much anywhere. 
the way law enforcement works, once once they enter your property, they can find 15 other reasons to continue searching. Mm. It's not right. It's not the Constitution. But it's what yeah. they do. So they line up 15, 20 charges, so they'll see bargain to five, six months in jail, and then you're on probation, and you can't vote, and you get your guns gone, whatever. But that's just kind of the system we're in now. I mean, that's just the, that's just the system. That's the way they do it. Well, when I found out what the planning department is going to, and I, 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 I've told you before, you know, I think public planners are from the pit of hell. It's the, not, the, the, not the individual. It's the system. Mm-hmm. And so I did some research. He gave me a copy of the ordinance. And after I spoke briefly, he, the guy was really wanting to speak. And uh, I just I show up and say, hey, look, uh, you know, if you ask me whether I'm for or against marijuana uh, cultivation and growth, the answer is neither. I'm here because I don't want people just come out on our property. You need to have a, a warrant, a judicial warrant. And if you're going to do an abatement, you need a court order. That's just the way the Fourth Amendment is set up, folks. And uh, I read to them some case law, Hale versus Henkel Landmarks case. Um, the citizen may stand upon his constitu- constitutional rights as a citizen. He is entitled to carry on his own business in his own manner. He owes no duty to the state nor to his neighbors to open his door to investigation. So it as it may tend to incriminate him. His rights are existing as the laws of the land long antecedent before the organization of the state and can only be taken from him by due process of law and in accordance with the Constitution. In addition to that, the Fourth Amendment is still affirmed in Mayfield versus the U.S. in 2009 case in our federal district, which is Portland, in Portland, Oregon. So what do you think here? And by the way, folks, uh, you do this, you're going to have lawsuits coming at you. It's going to cost the county a lot of money. I mean, the cameraman over there, yeah, he's, he's in the process of suing the county for um, violating his rights and search and seizure without a warrant, and he's getting his property back. You know? I mean, does the county want to get sued by letting planning department just walk on property and then decide to come in and do an abatement thing? And this is not good. And so then, and, and by the way, health supervisor, the, it's, it's the planning commission. The chain of command is planning department, plan, planning commission, and then the county supervisors. Well, we had a flinch. Four of them were there, and three voted for it and one against. And I proposed an amendment that basically says, look, you want to do an abatement, get a judicial order for a warrant to validate. Uh, the abatement. Get an abatement order from a judicial court. You, you just can't do this stuff. Anyway, after that, I talked to somebody who, uh, who won at, at the Supreme Court of California uh, for some similar crap. And there's other stuff. It's like, are I, 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 you not even thinking? I mean, how would you like to people walk on your property? You know, we have the Fourth Amendment to be secure in your person's papers that affects your property, except for a judicial warrant. Like, what are you thinking? Well, yeah. and then I, and so they passed it, and I'm like, what? And then I started thinking about planning and how planning has come about. And I found some stunning stuff, very stunning stuff on the origin of planning. But before that, I have to go back to the way it was with land. You know, again, I'm a civil engineer. I do land consulting. I've got my name in five counties, buying and selling properties, whatever. 
I help clients get approval and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so this, the way it was in, well, let's see, from 1620 until, oh, the late 60s, early 70s, the way it was, if you wanted to sell your land, say you wanted to cut off part of your land, sell it to somebody, um, basically you hire a surveyor, do a legal description, you know, bearings and distances are described on paper your property. Okay, one parcel, two parcel, two parcels out of one. You go to the county recorder, you record it, done. That's it. That's the way it was. I've seen subdivision maps back in the early 1900s, like Simpson Beach. It's on the coast here in California. I saw another one here local, 1898. You just hire a surveyor, draw a map, record it, done. That's the way it used to be. Okay? Was there any yeah. min- mm-hmm. minimum acre size? No, there wasn't. No. Nope. Was there any zoning? Oh, here's commercial. Here's industrial. Here's residential. Here's here's office. Here's retail sales. Really? Who the hell are you to tell me what I can and cannot do with my land? You're not putting your blood, sweat, and tears to pay for this land. Wow. Okay, so this this planning department thing, okay? And then, by the way, environmental regulations, all enforced by the planning department. Hmm. Now, is this going to get interesting? So what in the hell is going on here? Because this looks like, um, let's, well, let's look at the Communist Manifesto. Let's just look at it. All right. Tenant number one, abolition of private property and the application of all rents of land to public purposes. It's the collective. Oh, let's look at another one. Um, Tenant number four, confiscation of the property of all immigrants and rebels. Um, Another tenant basically says, yeah, um, another tenant of the Communist Manifesto is, you know, basically, you know, the land and stuff, you you just kind of melt the line between towns and the rural area, and you have a a general plan on how to use the land. Really? Uh, And that's that's a paraphrase of of the tenant of the Manifesto. Well, we have this thing by the planning department now called the general plan. Yes, the general plan, 40-acre minimums. When I bought it, it used to be 10-acre minimums. Uh, before the previous owners, there was no acre minimums. What the hell's going on here? Oregon got so ticked off at this crap that, you know, and I, I owned a piece of property that was 5-acre minimums, and then went to 10, then went to 20. I mean, that was before I bought it. But So Oregon got so tired of this, you know, acre minimum whatever that they finally passed um, – they passed – um, a statewide referendum that basically says whatever zone you were before or acreage size, when the planning department did this to you, you either A, get your previous zoning or acre minimum, or the state pays you for it. Mm-hmm. Now that was, that's a step in the right direction. How about no If you don't accept zoning. what they offer, then they'll give you less or nothing at all. Yeah, it's it's, it's a form of eminent domain without compensation. So anyway, so then I started digging. You know, this has reflection of Communist Manifest. Well, let's let's just look at some of the origin of the, of the planning, okay? Which of course they started in cities. <clears throat> so I, I I came up with a little bit of research. Um, Ebenezer Howard, he was of England, and uh, he is believed by many to be one of the great guides 
to the town planning movement. Yes, born in 1800. In 1902, he advocated garden cities in his, pub, in, in his book, uh, Garden Cities of Tomorrow. And the publication was based on the ideas of social and urban reform. His focus was cities, not counties, not rural. Um, the, this organization is, is presently become the International Federation for Housing and Planning, and I'll bet it is filled with socialists to fulfill the Communist Manifesto. But, you know, Mr. Howard, he did care about the poor and the health impacts of industrial factories in England. So did Howard use the government to force his ideas to make the perfect city? No, he did not. He made land. He bought land. He bought land. Oh, my gosh. He did two of these garden cities. One of them was 4,700 acres he purchased. He planned for around uh, 30,000 people. And, uh, oh, by the way, you know, planners, you want to tell people do what to do, zoning here. I'll tell you what, go buy 4,700 acres and do what this, this great guide to, to modern planning did. Buy the land, you can do whatever the heck you want, right? And, you know, Florida's towns, he had the idea of, let's see, central town, agricultural belt, shops, factories, residences, civic centers, and open spaces. He owned it. He could do whatever the heck he wanted. Somebody wanted to buy it, that's the way it is. Great. So, anyway, he did another town, and that was a miserable failure because he wanted to do sustainable development. It was just totally uh, disrespected. All right. So, planners doing this crap to people, and now have the, now they think they're going to have the power to walk. It's not about marijuana. It's about coming onto your land without a warrant. It's, it's taking property without wow. due process laws, without a court order. What in the hell? Oh, that's right. Planners are probably socialists. Now, how do they get into place? You know, the socialist movement, they have their networks. They have their, you know, brick and even the homeless have their networks. So these socialists realize, hey, you know what? Nobody wants to be in a planning commission. It's really boring. So us socialists can get in there, just like the public schools. Then we go to them and say, hey, stop at dinner 21. They're laughing at us because they're socialists. And so the planning department has to get approval from the Board of Supervisors. And if I, if I do this right, they will not get approval unless they amend it. It's not that hard to get a digital warrant. It's not that hard to have a hearing over a... Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just so wound up, I can hardly... Right, abatement. They want to have an abatement, get in front of the judge again and have a short hearing. Done. Fine. Remove the plants. Who cares? And so I've got to do more research and just have the supervisor say, look, this is two counties been interested. that you have a warrant and it is just an order for the payment because expect to get sued. Mm-hmm. Because the patriots around here, we're well connected. We found the case law. We'll share them with each other and we'll come after you. And it's going to cost the county a lot of money when you let the socialists have their free reign here. Jeez. Sorry, I'm just, yeah. I'm just ranting here. So I dropped everything. I worked on that. That's okay. That's okay, Kelly. Get it out. It's part of Bard's logic it, after dark. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. But but the supervisors, you know, a lot of people ahead of me, they were just kind of bored, you know, reading other stuff. They were paying full attention to me, and many people thanked me. But it's just like, really? I mean, what, what's one of the most important questions mm-hmm. in life? Who owns the land? What do you do with land? You basically can provide for yourself, or it used to be that way. Think of our agrarian society, like my grandma and grandpa. He was born in 1901, sailed right through the Great Depression, self-sufficient. 
You take this away from people, what happens? They become dependent upon the government. Jeez. Can't, can't, I mean, this is a rural area. Can't, can't we get this here? I think the supervisors actually will when they understand the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. But I was like, jeez. And we got a sheriff. Oh, he was on our show. And I was like, Lopey, did you go loopy? Sheriff Lopey is his name. Did you really go loopy here? Right. I mean, you're just trying to get reelected? I mean, don't you respect the fourth? Get a judicial warrant. Yeah, wasn't he, he, yeah in, we had him on the show, didn't we, Kelly? Yeah, he loves Constitution, or so I thought. Maybe he just doesn't believe in it. I don't know. It's like pastors don't read the Bible. Wow. So, you know, okay, yeah, you read the Bible. You don't believe it. Fine. But look, I'm going to hopefully have lunch with them. But we've got to have this addition in the ordinance. I'm done ranting, but I'm just like, is this going This is a rural county. Is this going all over the country? What the hell? Well, yeah, it sounds like we have uh, sounds like we have Constantine back. We only got about ten yeah. minutes before I have to shut the shut things down. But go ahead, Constantine. It's good to hear you back. And then we got a couple minutes for you. And then Cindy, and then I'll have to close some some things down. Go ahead, Constantine. Well, you know, as I was saying, may the Fourth Amendment be with you always. But you know, I <laughs> but but seriously, you know, I mean, and, and okay, and, and right on along the lines with his, you know, I just so happened to in 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 American history, I formed the largest municipal uh, watchdogs association in America. And uh, what happened, and, and uh, when I, all the stuff happened, is uh, basically our city wanted to, uh, with, along with the county, they were wanting a new lake. This is West Texas. It doesn't rain enough out here. We need a new lake. So what they, you know, normally what you'll do is you get to Army Corps of Engineers, which will do it for free for you because it's, it's national government, but say, no, we want our own contractors to do all this stuff. So our mayor, who uh, works for uh, Hendrick Medical Center, which is the largest employer here, with the exception of the air base, um, that also owns the land where they're prospecting putting out the lake out, uh, ask, ends up asking the city for 18 times more than the land is worth, according to the property and zoning uh, workshop that I went to. So I wrote an article about it, you know, saying, well, you know, they said it was only going to be worth 50-something million dollars, and there's, they're wanting 300 or something like that. And people started getting mad. And what I did is I started it on Facebook, the City Council Watchdog Group. We had almost 500 members. Now, the, the thing is that, sure, it got some people to vote against some certain things, but here's what also happened. They got tired of us changing everything. So all the five, the four top people in our organization, what they did is, just like me, they found a charge to charge them with uh the uh they charged me with uh filing uh paperwork incorrectly when i ran for city council i'm dyslexic i transposed two letters but i was defrauding our city <laughs> you know that's what oh, they geez. charged me with okay uh, another elderly man uh they had a road grader in his alley so they're pushing across trees and the trees piled up along the outside of his in his alley you know, towards a whole bunch of branches and everything like that, charging with a federal over a certain amount of, of trash uh, in, in a publicly, uh, I mean, in a privately owned thing. They charged him with a felony for having a bunch of trees that had been pushed over from his alley onto his yard that he didn't even do. And uh, he's, hmm. he got probation. Uh, the third one, they uh, the, uh, a kid, his son ran into a burning apartment complex literally saved 
five ki- five kids and uh, some other things like that, and went around and said, well, he started the fire. Okay, and the fourth guy that ran our organization, uh, they did bring up some charges against him, but he's dying of cancer, so they just went ahead and dropped that. And uh, wow. oh, wait a minute, and the fifth that. one, uh, they ran out of the state. He left. So, I mean, the thing is, we were the largest municipal organization in the country, and so what the DA did, they just found charges. And you know, I guess when you know when you you know when when you run everything because you know here in this town you know twenty twenty five thousand people, but out here in Texas it's kind of an old boy network. You know, I mean, a lot of people that are the lawyers and judges and DAs that go hunting together. That's a big thing out here. I'm not going against hunting. Don't, don't go over there. But you know what I'm saying is is that uh, you know when you sit there and cost people money. You know, the rules change. You know, if you're talking about what your property and your rights on your property that cost one little thing, sure, city watch, city council watchdog groups, man, they're they're super. You start getting a little overzealous like we did and start costing local bigwigs millions of dollars, and they find, you know, they get a Texas Ranger, like in my case, to find a charge. I wasn't accused of anything. You know, the Ranger, every single grand jury that I went, they went to said this guy didn't really do anything wrong and then of course they appointed an attorney for me you know the thing is is this happened in america this is a this is the second most conservative county in the united states you know and i called um the you know uh aclj and aclu the aclu actually showed a little bit of interest in the case but said there's two reasons why we can't do it number one in texas the district attorneys are just too powerful and number two you're not black so I argue, well, sorry, I guess. But what I'm saying about rights and about working with uh, officials and stuff like that, what you need to do is get a group together and convince people that there's a trend that affects them. And there's much more likely to listen to somebody that presents their concerns to boards, uh, city councils, uh, county commissions, whatever. Uh, you know, if they know that you're you're representing not just yourself but with a group. You know, we've talked about we have a consensus about this. This isn't right. And if you don't, and uh, if if you continue to do with these kind of actions, we will vote you out. That's what that's what you do to get. Because I, although personally I'm on probation right now, uh, you know, the thing is, is you know, I, I could personally say that I saved the state, city of Abilene, 125,000 people, from having their property taxes raised almost seven percent because I got people together and wow. as a cause and as a group got together. And I'm paying for it by basically having no rights. But the thing is, is they can't ever take that away from me either. So, you know, fight smart, but fight collectively. And I, I know that the, the, it's not a communist thing to say that, but, I mean, there's strength in numbers, and politicians listen to numbers. Right. You know, because sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with anything other than the money and getting reelected. Because ultimately, if it's going to be something mm-hmm. that's not going to get them reelected, they're not going to do it. They'll find some way to spin out of doing it, you know. So, you know, that's my perspective. And uh, God bless America. I love it. I'm I'm honored that uh, that I was so important <laughs> that that uh, you know I I be persecuted for fighting for for the regular citizens of my own country. You know, I mean, I you no, know my, my, my country, my my country. I mean, as a whole, my country really uh, abandoned me. 
But I still love America, and I still love this place I live. I don't hate Abilene. I just hate people that do other people wrong. You know, I was ordained as a minister. You mm-hmm. know, uh, I, I I don't, you know, I don't hate anybody. I just, I'm just not going to stand by. You know, you don't mistreat a woman. You don't malign a man. And if you're a Christian, you don't stand by and watch somebody else do it. I wasn't doing it for the money. I didn't take, you know, some kind of big cut or anything like that. You know, and, and people see that too. Well, you, you know, it's the first thing to do is ask. Yeah, and well, yeah. I mean, they, they found a charge. It, it, you know, <laughs> you know, they didn't tamper with it. I only I only filled it out once. Didn't walk in there later. Said, well, that's the charge that applies to that kind of thing. It's like, well, I tampered with a document by misspelling something because I'm dyslexic. Okay. Wow. Well, said, well, yeah, but you still filled out a document incorrectly. It's like, well, prove the intent. It's like we don't have to prove the intent under that charge. We just have to prove you did it That's because it's an election, you know. So, uh, and and I called for people all over across this country, and nobody would come down here, you know. And I, and I'm still, I mean, I'm living in an airstream because I've lost everything, you know. Do I have any regrets? Not particularly, but one thing I can do is I can take it, you know, my life sucks, or I can take what I've learned and the experiences I've had and pass it on to folks like you so you don't end up like me. Don't become me. You know, fight the good fight like me, but, you know, be smart too. Don't assume that you have rights because when it comes to enough money, uh, they'll find a way to get around it. That's what lawyers do. You know, that's what the majority of people do in politics in general is they find somebody else to pay for what what their projects or aspirations are. And, you know, your rights are right and fighting for rights are great. But the reality is when you deal with lawyers, they don't give a shit about morality. It's about, you know, who can get them elected and who can get them paid. And if they can't get you paid and they can't get you elected, then, you know, they might send a letter saying, well, we will be praying for you, but that's about the best you're going to get. So... And uh, I appreciate letting me and come on. And on that note, unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> and unfortunately, on that note, <clears throat> I'm only someone down the wrong pipe. Uh, I'm going to have to close things out. Uh, appreciate the, <clears throat> you giving us that information, Constantine, uh, and uh, calling us to the show. And, uh, yeah, hopefully uh, we'll hear from you again soon. Speaking of politicians, we will have a uh, city councilwoman next week to talk about a police community task force that she was assigned to uh, by the governor of the state here in Ohio. So we'll be talking about that, her appointment, and possibly uh, expanding that program. Excuse me. Wow, this is terrible. On a uh, on a national level, so I want to thank Constantine and uh, you too, Kelly. It was great to hear from all. <clears throat> Boy, it's a good thing it's towards the end of the show. It's been terrible. This was at the beginning, but uh, I have to go ahead and close out. And we got a few minutes, so uh, thanks everybody. We look forward to seeing you next week, and of course, definitely uh, share the link out with folks, whether it's through email or through Twitter or Facebook. Uh, be uh, really appreciate you sending out the, the information and uh, the show to others. And so uh, we'll see you next week. Everyone have a good night and take care. And I will end tonight, as I do every night, and that is by the song from Aubrey Ashburn. And you can hear more of her music by going to www.aubreyashburn.com. So thank you very much. Take care and have a good night. Good night, folks.
Thank you.